a big issue. This is your big Saturday current affairs show where we bring you the key highlights of the issues that trended throughout the week, bring you some angles you haven't experienced and also some insights that will lead you into greater understanding. My name is Bernard Avle. I'm sitting in for a regular host, Godfrey Akotobuafo, and it's a big, big economic roundtable we're having today. This week has been very interesting because the former finance committee chairperson has said that the e-levy that government so much touts will not be enough to save Ghana's economy and that we should eat humble pie and go back to the IMF. We'll be examining that from all the various angles with some very insightful panel members, some of whom have actually worked with the IMF to give us insights what an IMF program means. And while all that argument goes on, the fuel price in Ghana has broken the seven, probably threatening to break the eight. What is really going on there? We will ask whether there is something that readily can be done to cushion users, particularly in the public transport space of petroleum products. And if there's time, we would look at the failed attempted coup in Guinea-Bissau and what all of that means for instability in the sub-region, Ghana's sharing of ECOWAS and matters arising. It's a big conversation on the big issue today. We'll be right back. television we're live on the internet on our social media platforms it's an interactive show and today hopefully you get a deeper understanding into the issues between Ghana's economy the options open to us and what realistically can be done to save Ghana's economy from what many describe as a perilous state in fact before we came on air two I'll say one and a half updates were issued in terms of where Ghana's economy is so Moody's released a an analysis of Ghana's economy with uh, a rating and we also had uh, what is supposed to be an upgrade from Fitch very slight up, uh, sorry an update from Fitch which further downgrades Ghana's already perilous position we'll look at all of those join the show today but I have a very interesting array of guests in studio I have one of our regulars Franklin Kujo who is the chief executive of one of the leading think tanks in Ghana Imani Franklin good to have you Pleasure to be here. It's usually I see you on the Zoom, but today you are here in the flesh. Yes, uh, it's good. It's good to appear in flesh sometimes. Fantastic. <laughs> we also have a member of Parliament for Cape Coast South, who used to be a deputy finance minister. So a few years ago, he would have been grappling with what these rating agencies say, whether we have enough money to pay workers. But now he's just in Parliament, resisting the eleven. Kwekuriki Tegan, good to have you. <laughs> Thank you. So. It, it appears being opposition is easier than being in government because all your white hair is gone. Your hair is black now. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about that, but definitely being in government is tough. You know, you in opposition, you're supposed to provide a, you know, a constructive criticism. But, uh, I see. And that doesn't affect your hair. I also have two <laughs> very astute economists. Dr. John Kwache is uh, 
the director of research of one of Ghana's leading think tanks, the IEA. He's an economist by training. And I know some of his work was with the IMF. Dr. Kwachi, great to have you. Thanks for joining The Big Issue. Good morning. Good morning. Fantastic. And I also have Professor Lord Mensah, who teaches at the University of Ghana Business School. He's an economist as well. Uh, Prof, great to have you. Good morning. Morning, man. And good morning to our viewers. Fantastic. So what I want to do first is to just read a quick excerpt of what Moody's is saying about our economy. Uh, Fitch did what they call a correction of their, their January 14 downgrade, which I really thought was just one word they changed. So I think it's still B negative or B minus with outlook negative for Fitch. And would even ask why these rating agencies hold so much sway over the market. But the key point they are making is that looking at where Ghana's finances are, we will not have access to the markets, the international bond market in particular, for the rest of this year and possibly next year. They do acknowledge that we have some domestic resources to help pay our obligations in the immediate to near future. But they also feel that some of our projections for our economy are too optimistic and that Ghana may be in a difficult position. Now, I'll put on the screen, for those of you watching on television, the, the scale that Moody's uses. So quickly, there are three rating agencies. Standards and Poor's, Fitch Ratings, and Moody's. And the ratings are typically very similar. So AAA is like the platinum standard, and then D is the worst for all. But if you come to the specifics, the last rating of Fitch gave us a B-, and the outlook can either be stable or negative. And they said it was negative. Now, Moody's has also downgraded our rating to CAA1, which is a little below their B3. The B3 of Moody's is similar to the B- minus of Fitch. It's on the same line. Now, let me just read a few highlights of this. And I'll start with my guest on the so, uh, Zoom as before. Moody's downgrades Ghana's credit rating to CAA1, outlook stable. And the story is from Paris. It says, Moody's Investor Service has today downgraded the government of Ghana's long-term issuer and secure and senior unsecured debt rating to CAA1 from B3 and change the outlook to stable from negative. Moody's has also downgraded the senior unsecured MTM program rating to PCAA1 from B3 and the backed senior unsecured debt rating to B3 from B1. This downgrade reflects the increasingly difficult task the government faces addressing its intertwined liquidity and debt challenges. Weak revenue generation constraints, government budget flexibility, and tight funding conditions on international markets have forced the government to rely on costly debt with shorter maturity. Moody's estimates that interest payments will absorb more than half government's revenue over the foreseeable future, which is exceptionally high compared to peers at all rating levels. As a remedy, the government has proposed sharp fiscal consolidation and a switch to borrowing from external partners on more favorable terms. However, the strategy comes with sizable implementation risks, especially in a still fragile post-pandemic environment. And while international market creditors' price is wide risk premium. And then it goes on to say other things. First and foremost, I would, I'll start with Professor, uh, Dr. Kwachi. Generally, even before we talk about what, meetings, uh, what the, the rating agencies say, from where you sit as an economist at the IEA, what has been your assessment of Ghana's economy and where we are? What, what kind of, what's your opening thought about the state of Ghana? Is it as precarious as it's been made to sound? Or this is just a regular bad day we face with the cycles we experience in, in many years? Thank you so much, uh, man. Well, 
I must say that um, as um, before COVID, you know, I think government was trying to get the economy, you know, at least uh, the fiscal fiscal uh, um, sector, fiscal policy, you know, trying to tailor it towards a uh, you know sustainable you know a level. Um, because it is the government that has that has passed the fiscal responsibility law, and they were working towards the achieving the ceiling the, of five percent, the fiscal deficit ceiling. And then COVID struck, and then um, because of the uh, expenditures that were involved, and then also we must remember that uh, the government had also uh, incurred a lot of expenditure in the energy energy sector and then in bailing out the financial sector. So if you add all this together, this had compounded, you know, government um, uh, payments. And, and then of course that had fed into the deficit and also the, the public debt. Mm -hmm. And then going forward, as I said, COVID struck and government has been struggling, you know, to um, get out of the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we are not collecting. We are still not collecting enough revenue, which has further been dampened by I mean, COVID. Um, and then, if you go to the expenditure side, also the allocation of the revenue that we collect is also not the best. Mm -hmm. uh, expenditure is um, played by a lot of rigidities. Mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned, interest payment is already so high. Compensation is equally high. Then we have revenue earmarked for various uh, statutory payments. So it's like government hands is already I mean, tied. Whatever revenue we collect, we allocate it to you know, these sectors, and then we don't have enough even for a uh, capital expenditure. And then the debt has, uh, as I said, has, has also you know ballooned. So it is you know these indicators that uh, the credit rating agencies normally use. You know to grade you uh, they will look at your debt profile because they have evidence of your debt and the payments that are coming due mm. they also look at the fiscal deficit you know profile because that will give them an indication as to whether government will be able to meet uh, its uh, obligations mm -hmm. you know going forward and then when they they, they provide their rating it gives a signal to investors also so that will determine whether when you go to the market, mm. you'll be able to borrow, you know, at um, at uh, I mean, easier easier costs or very expensive costs. So that is where we stand now. Mm. So so thank you for that intro, Professor Lord. What what is your assessment of Ghana's economy? We are in Q1, 2022. When you and your team at the business school do the numbers. Where, what is the, the state of the Ghanaian economy? Well, um, good morning once again to our viewers and the panelists at the studio. Um, ben, you see, the Ghanaian economy is an economy that is um, struggling, but unfortunately, you know, our economic managers don't put that when they are planning or they are budgeting for the economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, an economy that was able to rake in around 70 billion last year. I mean, within a year, I don't know the measures we've put in place, and I don't know 
the revenue measures, i.e., mm -hmm. the expenditure that we want to put up across, that will allow us to increase, you know, our revenue by thirty billion, mm -hmm. lifting the revenue target to around, I mean. 100 and 100 and 100.5 billion now um i look at the economic activities on the grounds and i ask myself the 30 billion difference how is it going to be you know um raised in the economy and then looking at the international market mm -hmm. you know the, the swell up of our debt you know um, the difficulty that we will face if we go to the international market. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody will say, Fitch, from the readings that um, you, 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 you read to us from um, the Fitch or Moody's. That, that was Moody's. Moody's, mm -hmm. they're giving the signal that we can't go to the international market. Yes. But I bet you we can go there. Seriously? We can go to the international market, but at a higher cost. Okay. In fact, Historically, if you trace the transitions of our, I mean, ratings, we've never been in the CAA zone before. We've never been in the C zone before. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you can go, the history is there. Yeah. From Moody's, Fitch, and all those. We've never been in that very high, you know, credit risk zone. Now, at that zone, you can borrow, but, you know, you're borrowing at a very high cost. The reason why I'm saying you can borrow from the market is that, you know, if you look at global funds moving across, you know, um, the world, Africa, which Ghana is part of it, I mean, we've been categorized as frontier market. Now, the frontier market is where, you know, pensions, institutions, and all those from the advanced world, you know, use that to, you know, diversify their portfolio to make very high returns. Mm. They know very well that in their environment, I mean, interest rate is really around, you know, um, 2% and below. And I have a friend who works in Switzerland, I mean, more interested in, you know, African bonds. And he, he gives me the signal that, look, you know, um, African bonds are good bonds for us because they are bonds that if they put the money here, by the time we pay, we pay first, you know, um, coupon, second coupon, third coupon, you know, we are more or less, they are more or less covering their principal. So even though the risk is high, with the high interest rates that they are charging us, the speed of collecting their money and therefore holding up with the interest in the future is very, very high. So they're still interested in our, our bonds. But then you look at how we're managing this economy, Economy that is now putting up infrastructure and then infrastructure, I mean, I mean, IT infrastructure, which budgeted, you know, last year made actual, actual, you know, revenue of 70 billion. And mm -hmm. then you jump to, I mean, um, 105, which you're looking at about 30 billion difference. Okay. Then you ask yourself, where are we going to get it? And the same manner, we increase our revenue the same way we also increase our expenditure. This is an overly optimistic management mm -hmm. without looking at, you know, uh, the possible exposures. Mm -hmm. Because you are saying that you, ca you can increase 
your um, revenue by about 40%, which is not, which is abnormal for me. It doesn't make sense. And so I don't know the aggressive, you know, what our economic managers see, mm -hmm. you know, in this economy, that we do those projections. The projections sometimes, you know, can raise hopes unnecessarily. Mm. You can have, you know, this revenue, I mean, possibly coming in. Then you want to also go with an expenditure matchup. So you look at our expenditure and you realize that that has also been increased by about 35 billion and over. Okay. Creating a huge deficit, <clears throat> right? Mm. A huge deficit. And as to how to finance this deficit okay. uh, of about 37 billion is where the government is struggling to, 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 to fill in now. All right. Since, so, since, since you'll be leaving us much earlier, I want to sort of run through my questions for you quickly because my other panelists will be here throughout the show. So you're basically saying that even though some of the rating agencies are saying that we may not be able to access the international markets, you're saying we can, but at a higher cost. Number very two, high. you're saying the assumptions and the projections that our economic managers make are too optimistic and that the size of the deficit reflects that miscalculation. So far, so sure. good. Good. So my question to you, we heard clearly from Asebe Yeboah last week that even if we raise $6 billion from the e-levy, it will not be enough to plug our deficit and therefore we should go to the IMF. So he essentially pitches e-levy against IMF as the two alternatives. What's your comment on that? Is that the right equivalency or is it a false choice? Well, for me, uh, the, the analysis, um, if you look at it carefully, now let's break down, you know, the, the, the expenditure side of our budget and then look at the, the portion of the expenditure that E-Levy is coming to fill in if there should be a deficit. Now, if you take out the E-Levy, I don't think this economy is going to struggle so much. Now, um, if you look at the IMF as an alternative, then I ask myself, Okay, then we may be better off giving the economy to IMF to manage it for us. That is what I would say. Because not long ago, we came from IMF. And we know the economic consequence for going to IMF. You will not have your freedom for that peanut that they're going to give you. So effectively, I would say that it wasn't something that needs to be compared. However... If we are not getting the e-levy as expected, we should look at you know our expenditure side of the budget. Because if you don't you know raise the money, you can't spend it. And I always break the budget down. I mean clearly, and how we jump some of the items on the expenditure side of the budget. If you look at, for instance, other, which is an item on the expenditure side. This is a typical non-earmark, you know, I mean, fund. Last year, we made around um, seven billion. This year, we're looking at 10 billion, an increase of about 3 billion. Now, there's also an item in there which talks about grants to government agencies. That grant to government agencies last year was around, uh, Bernard, was around uh, 15, 16, 15 billion. This year, I mean, we're making around, we're targeting around 26 billion, which is about 11 billion increase. All these things are 
you know, expenditures that I call it discretionary, you know, expenditure. Expenditure that you have control over as a country, an economic manager. Why don't you look at this side of the, you know, that kind of expenditure that you control? You see, I've not mentioned, you know, salaries, mm. I've not mentioned interest payment and all those. But those ones, your hands are tied. You must, what, pay it. And if you are increasing your worker's salary by 7% across board, you know the increase in the, <coughs> in the possible expenditure that you may rake in. And then the interest payment, you know the amount of money you're supposed to pay mm. in the coming year. So for those ones, estimating it is quite easier, right? So I call it non-discretionary expenditure because you cannot control it as expected. But the ones that the government can control, my question is, why do we increase, you know, from 15 billion to 20, uh, 26 billion as an expenditure proje projection for this year? If you look at it carefully, you will realize that that's about um, more than 40 something percent increase. And you ask yourself, why, you know, this increase? What economic activity or what structures is this um, SOEs going to put in place? to jump, you know, their expenditure mm. from 15 billion to 26 billion within a year. So that is where I have problem. And so I think we may not necessarily have to look at IMF because if you look at IMF, if you want IMF to come and instill financial discipline in you before you can manage the economy, then you are better off giving the economy to IMF, surrender the economy to IMF and say that IMF, mm. I cannot manage my economy. Mm. These are my inflows. These are my outflows. Okay. Manage the economy for me. All right, because not long ago, we came from IMF. Thank you. So your assumption is that IMF doesn't give you enough money. What they do is essentially help you go through an austerity program. And you, are, and you are analyzing the budget and saying you can already find places where government can make You can squeeze yourself. So yes. they don't, they, we don't, the money they give you think is not enough to merit not the, the program. And that we can have a homegrown austerity program without them. I'll pause exactly. there. Let me come to my studio guest and I'll go back to <laughs> Professor Kwachi later because I know he has worked closely with them in the past. Let me start with uh, uh, the MP for Cape Coast South. You are a former deputy minister. And um, even though we haven't reached, received this type of rating before, I'm sure we've been here before, where I think, I don't know whether it's 2013 or so, they were saying, Let's have a homegrown solution. Let's go to St. Let's talk about the economy. So for, for somebody who is somebody who just looks at the economy, this isn't such a strange situation, right? Where we are now, or is it? Uh, <clears throat> thank you very much, uh, Ben. And uh, um, I want to uh, say good morning to my fellow panelists and uh, people watching us this morning. Um, well, the economy of Ghana has, uh, over the years been like a, a roller coaster. Mm. But uh, the situation that we are in now, it's like the, 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 the whole you know, ride that you are on is now at the bottom. So usually it goes like that. So you're in the trough of the roller now, coaster. Absolutely. Taking you down. Taking you down. Mm. And we look like we are stuck there. Mm. Why am I saying that? Because, as you rightly said, some of the uh, ratings we, we've seen, we've never been there. It's a new territory for us. Mm. We've never actually received 
you know, um, what Buddhists came up with, you know, um, C C one one which if you look on the um, the others would be like triple C plus and, and all that. Though, but the the C double one for Moody's is a, is a triple C, C plus, plus for Fitch yeah. and a triple and C both. plus for Scanners yeah. and Pours. Though um, we had a better ratings from Fitch the last time. Yes. Therefore, when they downgraded, we didn't get to see. Well, B B B we B got to B minus, yeah. you know. But really, where we are is in the junk, basically status, which. You know, if you look at the three, the, the three, no, they uh, call it speculative grid. <laughs> well, Very speculative. It's, it's, it's junk, basically. Is it? I thought D was junk. No, no, you, you have to, you know, there are categories. When you say junk, you know, you have speculative, which is non grid. Mm -hmm. They're all junk. I mean, is it really? Yeah. Okay. If I, when you come to the Bs, mm -hmm. that's where you have the, the, the investment grade. You yeah. know, from yeah. A's to the three yes. B's. Investment grade, yes. Yeah, but anything below that is actually exactly. a junk in different categories. Is it? So you have the non-grade, mm -hmm. which looks better. You know, probably your B, uh, double B, you know, pluses and minus. And then you go on to another level, which is like, if you leave your speculative, you go to highly speculative. I see. You know, and then... You go to basically a, a substantial, substantial risk, risk, yes. You know, and then you go further down to so yeah. D is not necessarily the the, the no, worst no, one. There are too. other you know yeah. ones. We've never been there before. And why are we here? We are here because of bad policies by government. We are here because of overpromising and overactivities. Mm. since this government, you know, came to office. And all the things that they have pumped money in, mm. nobody has really sat down to look at the performance of these things that they've spent a lot of money on. So there are no really any performance appraisal or in the things that they have done. And they keep pouring money and keep pouring money. Mm. Don't forget, any, any year you get a deficit. It's your deficit that basically becomes your debt. Because the accumulation of your deficit mm -hmm. in the long run gives you a debt. So if you are running deficit every year, then basically what you are doing is that you are accumulating or you are you are making your debt, you know, bigger. Now before pandemic and mm -hmm. you know everything else is being blamed on the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Now the pandemic is the opposite of the yield levy. Every every problem was caused by the pa pandemic and every solution will be solved by the e-levy. <laughs> this is what you get, you, you, you get from this government. But in between, there are so many things that mm. happen that need to be looked at. Why are we borrowing so much? And what have we actually used the money for? Mm. We have said that before when we were in office. Borrowing is not a bad thing. It depends on what you are borrowing the money for. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, you don't need to borrow that much. You find the money here and all that. When they came, they basically went on to a, a boring spree. Mm -hmm. But the problem with them, and with the NDC, not because I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm with the NDC, NDC government, is that you can have things that you can show for mm -hmm. and say, this is what the money was going for. If you want to talk about, you know, um, value for money, that's a different discussion. But when you look at this government, you cannot even see the things to, to, to know whether you got a good value for money or not. 
Now we've gone to the uh, uh, the the. I don't know whether it's good or bad, but we go to a position as an as an economy where we qualify to basically go to the market. You know, before we were taking loans from the IMF, the World Bank, concessionary loans, concessionary loans, and then our status as an economy improved, which opened us to the capital market. Probably that's one of Probably the worst, the worst things that happened, to that, us. that happened to us. And then you got a finance minister. I'm sure you disagree. Oh, I agree. You, you got a finance minister who actually thinks more of this international capital market. So the two of them coming together, opening ourselves to the international market and getting a finance minister who is actually, you know, Comfortable in this but market. the ratios were started was, by your former boss, who used to work for the IMF, who who was quite fond of the capital markets as well. Well, we got fond of the capital because market. the first one and the MPP was Banredu. After that, we went. Yeah, that was the two hundred seven. Yes. Then from there, we didn't do any until I think twenty fourteen. Yes. So Mr. Tekpa is the one who actually yeah. led us properly. Yeah. But there. we we did about three or four or so of the euro bond. Yes. This government has done about eight or so. You know, in a short space of time. So if you put out the, the number of euro bonds that this government has done and the amount of money that has come in, it's quite astronomical. But you cannot tell what the money has actually been used for. Now, we just found out from the World Bank mm -hmm. that actually people thought that the money we got from the World Bank was about 100, 100 million. It's in excess of 600 million, which was given to us. If you put all the COVID money together, the money coming from the European Union is about 80-something you know, billion uh, million euros. You look at what they got from the stabilization fund, near, uh, almost 300. You, you look at all the, the, the IMF, the 1 billion and the 1 billion liter, and ask yourself, what did they use this money for? Mm. Because not a single hospital was constructed. When you ask them, they say, we build wards in the hospital. Not a single school. When you ask them, they say, we build classrooms. I mean, you cannot equate building classrooms and building wards to the amount of money that these guys got. I know some of the money goes into paying pre-acquired debt. So like when the interest were due for some of the euro bonds that were procured during your tenure, quite a substantial amount of the money is used to pay those. So it's more like a profiling of debts. Yeah, but you, you can see you that. Know that. What, what we, do, we, we need is actually a proper audit. Of the, the, the monies of, that have been received. The, you know, monies that came in for COVID. Because what we are paying for, or what they are telling us we are paying for, is as a result of COVID. Okay? But you did get support mm. for the COVID. So what did you use the COVID money for? All these monies that we begin to hear. Mm. What did you use it for? For us to get to this point. When you become trigger happy in the market and borrowing. Look, as Prof said, that they can go to the market to borrow. Yes, of course, they can, but they won't. Because the consequences of going to the market is not something that anyone can stomach. So that is what stops them from going to the market. Not that they can't go, but they will dare not go to the market because the amount of money they are going to pay to be able to get the money that they are looking for will not be worth it. So now they are going to come to the domestic market and that's the only option that they have. And that itself is going to create problems. The gradings, that they, the downgrading that they are getting is as a result of a limited option to this government 
in getting out of the hole that they have dug for themselves. They have a lot of programs. Look, you look at, I always cite this and quite interesting one. Planting for food and job sounds fantastic. You know, we are planting for food, planting for job. When you look at the contribution of agriculture to GDP, or maybe even agriculture itself is wider because we've got mm. fisheries and other things. Let's yeah. stick to crops, mm. which is what is supposed to be growing for food. The more they grow, the less they harvest, if you look in the budget. Because the contribution of, the, of, of crops in terms of GDP to the top, the, it's, it's always going down. So something is happening there. They are pouring money probably at a good project, but mm. the project it's not being we'll get into the details so so for your introductory thoughts yeah. if i understand you you're basically saying that you don't this is self-inflicted based on poor policy choices absolutely you don't think it's a structural issue that if you look at our economy for the past 30 years it's troughs and elevations which is almost like a, 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 a it repeats itself every four or five years the, the, of government yeah there's some people think that these are structural the, issues absolutely we have structural issues we have issues with even our revenue generation. These are all structural issues. We have some element of the problems we are having now due to the pandemic. But the bulk of it is the mismanagement of the economy by the present Government. managers right. of the economy. Those will be introductory thoughts. Let me bring me Franklin Kujo in for his opening thoughts as well. This is the, uh, yeah. the big issue. Franklin, you've been sitting quietly. Uh, where do you sit? How did we get here as an economy? Well... This was obviously coming. Um, you know, once we were promised by this government that we were going to move away from taxation to production, it was somehow supposed to be answering one of the critical structural questions that we have, which mm -hmm. is weak productivity in the private sector. Uh, of course, uh, in addition to high cost of borrowing. Mm -hmm. And so we were all agog, uh, if not laughter, mm -hmm that this was going to be a very, basically nirvana, um, where we're going to at least reach a destination where we start ad ad addressing the fundamental issues with uh, the structure of the economy. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened. And, 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 and I think that, doesn't, that, that has not happened simply because mm. of excessive waste, government waste. In fact, that's the, the third leg Mm -hmm. of the the sorry state of our of our economy mm. um, and when I say weak management essentially is that is a profligacy really I mean if you take a look at the the first term of this government most of the programs that were subsumed under the office of the president office of government machinery the Ministry for special development initiative I keep saying that that ministry single-handedly started unraveling started the, the process of our unraveling of our economic state right now mm. because most of the investments they made were not profitable investment they were not viable which ministry investment. the ministry of special development initiative which has this was in the first time exactly which has been collapsed mm. it's been collapsed right now a mm. uh, significant amount of money was given to that ministry and we all know we saw most of the stories the one million per constituency, we barely saw any value for money, any audit that showed that these monies were extended and expended in the way they were supposed to have been. Mm. The one village, one dam essentially were dug out. The value was ballooned sometimes by seven times. So 
have you audited the special development initiatives ministry's work or has there been any audits oh, been of some, them specifically well there's been some if you like um side audits it's very mm -hmm. difficult to come by figures but essentially also because they never really publish anything significant i mean they've been quite evasive when you ask them for the cost of a, a dam um, at the point we found out that a, a dugout was constructed for nearly 50,000 cities and then but then allocations were made to almost 300,000 cities mm. so from a peripheral uh, even analysis uh, you tend to realize that this was not value for money the expenditure mm. but I guess the question really um, we're asking ourselves is why are we scared of the IMF Really. Um, <laughs> because uh, Professor Bokpin, who happens to be a fellow of Imani, mm. has actually documented that we've been to the IMF 16 times. Mm -hmm. Since okay. independence. Since independence. <laughs> since we joined in 1957. And we have been the fifth most enthusiastic, um, uh, should I say, um, uh, enthusiastic um, Disciple, this disciple or, or, of the IMF. Or member. Member of the IMF on the African continent. Really? And he predicts, in fact, he predicted at the last forum, a forum we held uh, somewhere in 2019 that we were going to go to the IMF pretty soon. Mm. And um, I'm sure, um, apart from the issues around ego, um, clearly speaking, it's also the timing of the time we go to the IMF. We go to the IMF typically when basically all hope seems to be lost. Meanwhile, as I understand, the IMF has a number of facilities that we can assess mm -hmm. even before we get to this critical or the crucial stage of an extended credit facility or an enhanced uh, mm -hmm. credit facility or enhanced fund facility mm -hmm. those stages are like uh, life support okay uh, which was what i suspected not that i suspected sorry which was what the ndc government did in 2015. Mm -hmm. we had waited the signs were there um, we needed to do a homegrown policy, Sanchi. I was part of Sanchi. Oh, you were there, I know. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and uh, it was late in coming that eventually went to the IMF. Mm. I think the other fear which has been highlighted about going to the IMF is that if you go to the IMF, then you shortchange yourself. The market signals that you are weak. Um, I don't think it's actually the case. Mm. I think in 2015, in April 2015, when the NDC government went to the IMF, um, in October 2015, they did their Eurobond, even though the, it was priced at a higher interest rate. Kenya, which did um, went to the IMF, I think in 2021, mm -hmm. for a $1 billion facility, just two months after that, secured almost $2.3 billion US dollars on the market at mm -hmm. almost 6.3% interest rate. Compared to Ghana, that did a zero bond in 2021 mm -hmm. uh, for a seven-year seven year euro bond at $1 billion. And we are paying almost 8% interest rates for it. So it tells you clearly that um, there is not, it's not a it's not, it's, there's no truth in, mm -hmm. the, in, the, in the accession that once you go to the fund, you, your options for going to the market are extinguished. In actual mm. fact, it actually enhances your ability to... Really? Buy. It does. So you are saying, number one, don't be afraid of IMF. Yeah. Number two, going to IMF actually may help your... The, how the market perceives you. 
Of course. I mean, clearly speaking, mm. I mean, in the in the in the words of uh, the former. Um, was it the finance minister said that we're going for policy, not Mama, policy credibility. Policy credibility. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is actually true because once you are credible, <clears throat> when the fund comes in, mm. uh, it means that you are going to rein in some of your mm. borrowing and then your expenditure. You see, the current government decided to be smart when this e-level conversations was going on. Mm -hmm. At the point they said, look, we are going to reduce expenditure by 20%. Mm -hmm. Well, what they actually meant was that until they have the money, they wouldn't spend. Mm -hmm. So if they had the money, they would spend in the way. But at least it was enough signaling to the market that, look, um, we would definitely reduce our, uh, should I call it, appetite for mm -hmm. uh, spending out of out of our, uh, spending out of our pockets. Mm -hmm. But clearly, the IMF at this stage if we are going to the program we are going into the, an imf program it will be because we are going for the last of the should i we are the last stage where we basically need some sort of support mm. and that definitely will bring in the conditionality of uh, cutting excessive borrowing mm. and reducing your expenditure let me read the statement the imf uh, country rep or is it the resident rep is that what they mm. call them yes dr uh, tuna mama tweeted this and then we will see what that what what that gives us a hint of anything when i'm done with that i'll, I'll pick some other thoughts on on this quickly so economic activity continues to bounce back from the 2020 pandemic shock real gdp growth likely exceeded four percent in 2021 and it is projected to reach six percent in 2022 driven by a rebound in the extractive sectors in the longer run we see potential in agric manufacturing and services to create jobs for the youth. Right now, Ghana's challenges stem from the fiscal and debt situation and less from the economic recovery. This is key. Right now, Ghana's challenges stem from the fiscal and debt situation. I think Kwachi said this. And less from the economic recovery. As highlighted during the July 2021 Article 4 consultation, a deeper and more equitable fiscal effort is needed to address fiscal and debt vulnerabilities. The proposed 2022 budget and the recently announced 20% spending cut go into that direction. Throughout the COVID pandemic, the IMF has maintained a close policy and technical assistance dialogue with the authorities. The Ghanaian authorities have not, and the not is in capital NOT, requested for a program with the IMF. As always, the IMF stands ready to support Ghana in any way deemed useful by the authorities. This is a very interesting statement. It was not signed. It was tweeted by the rest rep. It didn't even say, hello, good morning. It just entered straight into the economic analysis. When we come back, we'll discuss this. Sure. And I'll start with Dr. Kwachi and also Prof. This is uh, the big issue. Saturday edition, I'm sitting for Godfrey. We are trying to do an economic roundtable on Ghana's economy. We've taken opening remarks from everybody else. Franklin is saying that we shouldn't be afraid of the IMF. They are not Kaka Mutobi. In fact, <laughs> he thinks when you go to give more credibility. Dr. Kwachi actually worked with them at some point in his career. What does he make of the Buhaha over this going to IMF issue? And what else do we need to get Ghana's economy back on track? We'll be right back. <laughs> Accra. This is the big issue. We're live on City TV and on City FM. My name is Bernard Avle. 
And today we are doing what I call an economic roundtable on Ghana's economy. I have a rich panel in uh, studio. I have Kwekuri uh, Kitsegan, MP for Cape Coast South. He's also a former Deputy Minister of Finance and Deputy Minister of Other Portfolios. Franklin Kujo, Executive Director of Imani. I have on Zoom as well Dr. John Kwache. He is the Head of Research at IEA. He's an economist. And also have Professor Lord Mensah, University of Ghana Business School. Dr. Kwache, I'm coming back to you. Um, I'm not sure if you actually worked with the IMF, but I know you have some affiliation with them in your past work. And um, so then that gives you some insight into how they operate. What, what do you make of this clamor for Ghana to go back into an IMF program? Are those calls justified or misplaced? Yeah, uh, Ben, um, I have worked with the IMF. I, I, in fact, I worked with the IMF for 10 years. Wow. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't a member of staff. I was uh, working as Ghana's representative at the IMF. In other words, okay. uh, in the executive, executive director's office. Okay. But even before I joined the IMF, um, I worked at a Bank of Ghana uh, for a very long time. And mm. then we had close working relationship with the IMF. Mm. In fact, my own thesis was... Uh, on IMF stabilization programs in developing countries, Ghana is a case study. Okay. So I, I am I'm very familiar with uh, the way the IMF operates. And so I must say that, um, you know, the statement put out by the IMF rest rep, he has summed up our position, you know, pretty well. Mm. In other words, he's suggesting that, you know, our, our real sector of the economy is not doing too badly. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, even in 2020, when we recorded just 0.9% growth or something like that, uh, you know, other countries, most countries recorded even negative growth. Mm -hmm. And for 2021, um, we don't have the actual figures yet, but mm -hmm. we, could, we could have done about 4%. Mm -hmm. And this is expected to increase further. Mm -hmm. So on the real side, we haven't done badly at all. Mm -hmm. But it looks like the markets are focusing more on government finances. You know, that is where the, the, I think the problem is. Um, but even if you look at government finances, the budget that um, the minister presented for 2022, the medium-term profile, you know, takes the deficit from 7.4% in 2022 and progressively down to 4% by 2025. When they, were, they would have come back into the, the fiscal responsibility uh, ceiling. Mm -hmm. So it, it, the profile, the medium term profile is not that bad. Mm -hmm. But I think the market is also focusing largely on 2022 itself. Mm -hmm. And you will see that the focus there, the projections there are quite huge. You know, in other words, the jump from 2021 to 2022, when, uh, in fact, uh, revenue as a ratio of GDP, for instance, is being projected to rise from 16% to 20%. Mm -hmm. This is a very huge jump. It is, it is traditionally, historically, we don't, we, are, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. And the E-Levy and other measures that government says is going to take to plug some of the tax loopholes, mm -hmm. you know, are all in there. But it looks like the market is not it's doubting whether government you know has the capacity to achieve these uh, uh, targets especially when they are struggling you know to uh, get uh, the e-levy e approved in parliament mm -hmm. 
But talking about IMF specifically, you know, every member of the fund mm-hmm. can go to the to to maybe some financial you know I mean assistance as well. Every every member is entitled to a, a policy advice under Article Four consultation, but mm-hmm. that is not binding, and it's not supported by uh, funding also. But if you want some financial assistance from them together with policy advice, then of course you have to come under some conditionalities that they impose on you. Um, the main advantage in going to the IMF, I believe, apart from the money, if you need the money, but the money is not normally too much. Uh, it's not a lot. In fact, our last program, we, we received just under $1 billion from the IMF over a three-year period. That is, that is not I mean, huge. But what you gain by going to the IMF is, is rather the policy credibility. You see, investors you know, don't have a, a hope in you now. So you go to the IMF, and then the IMF, because they are giving you policy advice, investors will take it like, oh, you are going to conform, you are going to uh, uh, be disciplined, because on your own, you are, you are not following you know, fiscal discipline. So it gives you that kind of policy credibility. It may also catalyze some funding from other other. Well, we, this day we don't even receive enough of bilateral or concessional funding. So, but it will also help you when you go to the bond market. You know, because of uh, well, your your sovereign rating and all that will improve. So, so that is the advantage in going to the IMF. Look, looking at government finances specifically, I still believe that there's room for government to scale up. You know, revenue mobilization. Mm. Uh, because there are lots more loopholes that they can they, they need to plug the exemptions illicit financial flows um non-compliance you know uh, property taxes that we don't call it the informal sector that we don't reach out to sufficiently uh, administrative lapses and so on if you try to plug all these loopholes i'm sure that you know you'll be able to scale up um, revenue substantially and even the e-levy may not be needed the e-levy is supposed to rake in just about 1.1 billion dollars that that, that is not that is not a lot if you plug these loopholes you get a lot more you know from there and some people have also suggested that uh, maybe this is the time that government should impose some kind of windfall tax Mm -hmm. on the sectors that have done so well mm-hmm. in, re- in the recent past and then also under the zoom this mm-hmm. will be one of you know a super profit tax mm-hmm. it's not going to be permanent mm-hmm. other countries are doing it and we're talking about you know the gold companies the oil companies and even the telcos the mm-hmm. telcos themselves they have done very well in the you know under the COVID. so my view about going to the imf is that i believe that the government itself must examine itself because i don't think they are doing enough now if they feel like they are not going to be able to take the very harsh measures especially you know on revenue side and then on the expense if you go to the expenditure side also there's room for uh, you know curtailment of uh, especially we are spending a lot on these uh, you know government um, 
flagship the, the, the program mm -hmm. flagship program there's a lot of money being spent on free senior high school hmm. free nursing, nursing and, and uh, training and, and uh, teacher training allowance you know allowances allowances and all that this is it's taking a lot of government expenditure so if we could streamline or rationalize government expenditure and then also scale up revenue i don't think that there will be any need then the market will believe in us they will have confidence in us and that to improve our credit ratings and you may not then have to go to the imf mm. okay i'll come back to you on the imf but let me come to prof quickly on policy credibility matters prof your view is that the amount of money we get from imf is not enough to marry the hassle some people even think that if you've been to the imf 16 times and your economy is still in this state the imf itself has credibility questions to answer because if you if you if you help somebody 16 years in this independence 16 times and they are still in this crazy state maybe your advice isn't that good in the first place i mean what are, what are your thoughts on that and the issue of policy credibility well um you see bernard i have always you know been reserved when it comes to um IMF. Mm. You see, um, IMF, you know, is a fund which Ghana forms part of. Mm. And for me, I see it to be, it's more or less an insurance. Okay. And so, um, like you said, being in IMF for 16 times, I see the signal to be like, um, more or less, you know, taking an insurance for your car and then decided to drive your car to hit someone's car so that you can get the insurance. And that is, you know, more or less uh, similar to the Ghana situation, where we know very well that, you know, there's an IMF which will come to our rescue for us to, you know, have that kind of temporal credibility, possibly to assess the international market. But we were here when IMF came, they gave us, you know, some guidelines. Even there was an act, if I remember very well, the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Bernard, do you remember that Fiscal Responsibility Act? Yes. Which, which also helps us to, I mean, have what we call Fiscal Responsibility Committee, uh, having a lot of um, economists on board. And um, all these things were put in place to ensure that even in the absence of IMF, we can still function, you know, to manage our, you know, finances very well. Now, we were so happy, I mean, to get IMF off our necks. I remember very well, I mean, it was a form of a campaign where, you know, um, a party a member would say, oh, I mean, we'll take you out of IMF. When we go out of IMF, we'll be fine. Now, we were running budget deficit of almost 5% when we mm. were with IMF. Mm. But then immediately we escaped IMF. The next year, budget deficit jumped to 11%. Then I asked myself, what was the function of the Fiscal Responsibility Committee and the Act that was supposed to ensure that we stay disciplined, we stay in line with mm. the ideal situation that IMF has No, but I thought they said it was because of COVID or something. That, 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 well, they, well, they, they, they well, felt well, that because of COVID, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Well, well, I don't believe in that. Uh, if you look at the things that are coming out, I mean, even yes, the last few days, the, the, the information that was coming from the World Bank, you know, country representative, you know, the IMF uh, country representative, sorry, the World Bank country World representative. Bank, yes. yes. So, um, clearly, uh, I don't believe in that. So, I mean, IMF came in, put in measures, you know, to ensure that even if 
you go off the program, you will still maintain that financial discipline. But we go off board. We went off board, you know, immediately we exited IMF. It was like, we're so happy with it. But you see, let me come back to the statement that, you know, um, the IMF uh, country representative uh, indicated on Twitter, which um, is giving us some hope in agriculture. Bernard, I will tell you that there's no hope in agriculture. Oh. If there's hope in agriculture, with the policies that were being rolled out, uh, planting for food and jobs in the first term of this government, what is the price of you know food on the market? Every now and then, prices of food keeps on increasing. What's the price of rice? What is the price of tomatoes? All these things are you know policy-oriented products that, as an individual, when I go to the market, I'm supposed to fill it. Let me tell you one thing. If that policy was to work very well, I don't think we'll still be having problems with the dollar. Why are we having issue with the with the with the with the with the, with the um, what do you call it exchange rate with the dollar going up every now? Oh, we are importing more. We are importing food, and the inflation that we try to control in this country, Bernard, they are imported inflation. They're not inflation that you know is within the country. So for me, those policies are not yielding. For the past four years, I'm expecting that this time, because when you grow tomatoes, how long does it take to grow? I mean, when, if you're keeping chicken, I mean, how long does it, I mean, I mean, um, take to get a chicken from, you know, the pen mm, to, mm, the, to, mm. to the market? It mm. doesn't take a year. Mm. So I was expecting that this time all these policies are yielding. So that at least 40% of our import, you know, portfolio will be coming from in-house. In a way, it would have gone a long way to tame, you know, the rate at which the dollar is, is, is moving. So I don't see that hope, I mean, as, mm. as he mentioned. So, so you, like are, said, you are saying that you don't think we should go to the IMF? You don't think we should, I don't we think, should go to any program? So. IMF, we went to IMF, IMF came to put in measures. And that, those measures are to ensure that even if you win off, you know, the program, you will still stay disciplined. What's the sense of the Fiscal Responsibility Act? What's the sense of the committee made up of? I mean, I don't know whether, whether they meet or not. Mm. So for me, I think uh, you know uh, we, we, we don't need to go. We don't and need to go. We, okay, I'll take, yes, I'll we, take we, that we, as the I'll take that as my main headline from you because I know you you have to go. So your point yes. is we don't need to go to the IMF. The money they give us is not anything to write home about. We can do the austerity ourselves. You don't think the policy credibility argument is anything to go by? And you don't even agree with the statement the man issued because his, his optimism about the agriculture sector you think is misplaced. Um, if, am I quoting you rightly? You are. Fantastic. You are. But then also, we're not, we're not going to IMF. We just have to stay disciplined. Use the structures that okay. when IMF came, they came to place. All right. Thank you, Prof. Let me come back to the studio. I'm going to read the IMF statement again. I want your take on it. Frankly, it's, it's a very interesting statement. Three paragraphs. Mm. There was no heading. It was just text type on a sheet of paper being tweeted, but it's from his official account. So right. I take that as a statement. Yeah. Right. Economic activity. So as I said, there was no introduction. There was no good morning. There was nothing. He didn't say, oh, I've been following the Ghanaian economic discussion and I want to make a statement. I did nothing. Straight away. Economic activity continues to bounce back from the 2020 pandemic shock. Real GDP growth likely exceeded 4% in 2021 and is projected to reach 6% in 2022 driven by a rebound in extractive sectors. In the longer run, we see potential in agri manufacturing and services to create jobs for the youth. End of paragraph one. Paragraph two. Right now, 
Ghana's challenges stem from the fiscal and debt situation and less from the economic recovery. As highlighted during the July 2021 Article 4 consultation, a deeper and more equitable fiscal effort is needed to address fiscal and debt vulnerabilities. The proposed 2022 budget and recently announced 20% spending cut go into that direction. So it's like an endorsement In the, at the end. Okay. Three. Then last, last paragraph. Throughout the COVID pandemic, the IMF has maintained a close policy and technical assistance dialogue with the authorities. Right? The Ghanaian authorities have not requested for a program with the IMF. As always, the IMF stands ready to support Ghana in any way deemed useful by the authorities. And he tweeted this. And uh, when was this? February 3 at 9.07 a.m. And he tweeted that, <laughs> funny enough, George Riafi, myself, and somebody called PM Ufuriata. Mm -hmm. Those were the three people who were tweeted at. So I got the statement and we issued it on our website. You, you went in this. <laughs> what is going on here? Well, the man is basically telling us that he wants to help us. Mm. Yeah, basically when he at the bottom He's quoting us. Yeah, yes. That, uh, look, we will have no choice at this stage than to go to the IMF. First of all, uh, a point I was making earlier on, which Prof uh, also did when I talked about agriculture, mm -hmm. that the more we plant the less we harvest. Mm -hmm. And we are putting a lot of money in there, yet we are not seeing the result. As I said, the GDP contribution mm. of crops or agriculture is going down. Mm. So something is wrong there. So in, in as much as it, it looks like a good policy, mm -hmm. something is not going right, and a lot of money is being pumped. And there are so many others, uh, Franklin as well, said that these flagship programs need to be looked at. Mm -hmm. A lot of our money has gone there, even free education, to see whether we are actually spending the money where the money should go, because the result we are getting will not grow this economy. Mm -hmm. Look, you can talk about the economic outlook being good, but if your fiscal consolidation is not good, it cannot drive the growth that you are looking for. So basically, you may have a good outlook. As mm -hmm. even Doc said, your medium-term picture may look good. Mm -hmm. But look, you've got to get there. You can't just... And, and, and the, the rating agencies are clearly telling us that we don't, they don't believe the story we are telling them. All mm -hmm. the rosy, you know, picture we are painting is not going to happen if we don't get hold of certain things that needs to be right. And that is our debt or our deficit which feeds into our, de our, our debt. Because the deficit comes as a result mm. of needing money to fund these flagship programs and then it becomes debt where we need to go and borrow money to do these things. Now, when the revenue issue that Prof talked about, mm -hmm. I, 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 I disagree with him a bit. Mm. You see, the issue Pause is... You on. So here, that's the, the tweet. Albertuna okay. Mama, complete statement on hashtag Ghana economy and going to IMF or not. Geography, Benkoku, and PM Furiata. First paragraph is what I read. If you put second yeah. paragraph, so it's very, very strange. Yeah, yeah, no letter had nothing. But basically, he could have actually tweeted this himself, but he's just put on a piece of paper. So, of course, we're in a modern era of communication. Yeah. So, this is the view of the IMF in Ghana on our economy. 
quite quite interesting. Yeah, it, it, it also tells me straight away that this guy is desperate to help us. You think so? Oh, yes. They are desperate That's the interpretation you put on the well, phone. Well, he didn't even bother to say good morning or look. <laughs> he probably woke, woke up on bed and was worried about brothers that come here. <laughs> so he wasn't wanting nothing. I know. So these guys need help. Let, wow. me, let me just... Uh, you know, reach out to them mm. and then see if they will come. Then I can talk to my people in Washington and see mm. what we can do for them. Okay. But the revenue side of things, mm -hmm. the issue is not about us, you know, targeting or, or, or bringing revenue targets that we cannot beat. Mm -hmm. The issue is about not doing enough mm -hmm. to meet those targets mm -hmm. and looking for the revenue in the wrong places. You know, if you want to... Mm -hmm rich the informal sector you know indirect tax mm -hmm. is generally looked as a tax that you can reach you know uh, whichever part or wherever part of the economy that you want to reach mm -hmm. but it is not exactly true because if you are also not careful you can use the same indirect tax to help people who are already paying their taxes because if a tax is to be paid by everyone, and you say, the reason why I'm bringing the tax is because there are people in the economy, in the informal sector, who are paying no taxes. Therefore, let me bring a tax that reaches everyone. It reaches those who are also paying their taxes. Mm. So the tax burden on the people who are paying their taxes, being good citizens, also get affected by those who are not. So you've got to look at, so that's why for me, the UAV, one of the reasons why it's not a, a good indirect, if you want to make it an indirect tax, is that it also hurts people who are already what making... If, what if the E-Levy, as we are being rumored, is used as some sort of collateral for more money? Because the calculation of the E-Levy money yeah. is not that much. Even if optimistically, Bry uh, Bryce Simmons has done the analysis, yeah. it's not that much. What if the agenda is to, and I'm not saying this is true, what yeah. if the agenda is to say there's a revenue flow coming in, we'll collateralize that and get more money? Putting away your NDC hat, yeah. will that be a sensible way of bringing in more resources? You know, it, 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 it wouldn't be. Still, I, I see that as a government being lazy, doesn't want to actually do the work, mm -hmm. but wants to pick the fruit. Okay. You know, because they want to get the money up front to spend. They don't really care what will happen, you know, um, tomorrow. Mm. But if we can get the money, so you may be right. Because when I sit down and think about it, why do these people need this year levy so much so that they are prepared to do everything for this year levy? And when you look at it, the year levy is only about 7% of the revenue they are looking for. The $100 billion they are looking for, it's, it's, it's just about 7% of it. So why would you leave you know, about 92% uh, mm. and be chasing the 7%. I mean, maybe biblically you can look at, you know, the guy who had the uh, ships and one got missing has to go look for it. But what they are doing this time around mm. is that they are not only going to look for the one ship that is missing, but they open the door for the, 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 the rest that have come in. Mm. And then by the time they get the one back, all the others will, will also be gone. Mm. So the issue is not with... The, the target that we set for ourselves. Mm -hmm. The issue is not doing enough to, 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 to widen the, 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 the tax net, especially in the informal sector, mm. to be able to get you know, the revenue in. Mm. So I don't have a problem 
would rather they, they project that look we, we say our peers are around 20 percent and we are around 16 percent that is tells you that there's a problem mm. so by projecting that your revenue is going to be 20 percent of your gdp mm. it, it's not being overly optimistic mm -hmm. but you are saying that this is where i should be mm. now the question becomes how do you get there mm. and that i think is what we are struggling we're not doing the right things to get there what is in this 20 percent that we want to get mm. this time around is to do with problematic things like the e-levy mm. and benchmark value okay. these are all part part of what we, we're looking at now you when you say you are doing a fiscal consolidation mm -hmm. it's not only on the revenue side okay but you have to also look at expenditure mm. there are a number of things that we have in our expenditure mm -hmm. that itself is problematic i think prof pointed out to to a few of them okay i really believe from where i've been and i i can i, I really believe i say i, I cannot tell you on authority but i really believe that about 20 percent of our expenditure actually goes to waste really yes so when the final 20 percent yes of our expenditure goes to waste. waste wasteful reckless corruption leakages takes about 20 percent now because if you reduce that assuming what you're saying is true yeah. then your deficit position becomes quite nice because you're about 37 billion in deficit if yes. 20 percent of your expenditure yeah. is wasted and yeah. if you reduce that by half yes take i just did a simple calculation you mm. take out you know there are statutory things that you probably at this stage can't do anything about mm -hmm. maybe that those things need to be also we need to review them mm. because of the rigidity of our budget mm -hmm. itself is a structural problem yeah okay so you take interest payment mm. you take compensation mm. in interest payment we're going to look at why we are paying so much interest and something needs to be done mm -hmm. okay when you take wages you're also going to look at whether all the people we are paying are actually working okay you take earmarked you know common fund and all those things mm. get fund and all that and look at what mm. you know but this can be done later mm. but when you strip this off in 2022 budget if you take interest payment which is about 37 billion if you take um, wages compensation which is about 35 billion mm -hmm. you take earmark figures you take amortization which mm. is almost about 2 billion mm. you take arrears out of the, the the budget because these are things that the obligations that you must meet whatever is left if you take 20 percent of whatever is left that mm. gives you about 7 billion mm. that is your year levy so if you can cut that so the, the finance minister saying that 20 percent of expenditure you can't cut across the whole expenditure 20 percent you can't cut wages you can't cut interest payment you can't cut your figure but when you take those out whatever is left where your waste may mm. be certain mm. if you take 20 percent of that that will give you seven right. billion and that seven billion will equate to your E-levy mm. that you are looking for. Fantastic. We'll read some comments. Before that, Franklin, just your comment on the statement I put on the screen. Whether it's a regular way we communicate for us, a new way communication is done. Whether your reading into the statement is similar to his. He's saying the man says, come, I want you to be on a program. He's basically saying the man is courting us. Yeah. I don't know whether that's what you're saying. And then Lord Mesa says, we don't need them. You disagree. Well, I suspect the difference here is that the... The, the the head of the IMF in Ghana mm. is uh, <coughs> has just communicated exactly what the fund does. Mm. Um, otherwise, the four major rules of the fund mm. 
apart from monitoring the global financial systems, mm -hmm. monitoring countries' financial and uh, economic systems as well, mm -hmm. they also extend uh, funds to countries that are struggling. Mm -hmm. Not, not necessarily struggling, sorry. Um, but, and then finally, they provide technical assistance. He says categorically that they've been engaging the government mm -hmm. since 2019. If you recall the SDR, the special uh, dry rights. rights of almost a billion. Mm. So in that light, and, and he also mentioned the Article 4 consultations, which are all functions of the IMF, essentially saying that in that light, um, if the governments were ready, they were ready and that uh, the government has not communicated yet its readiness to assess uh, a, a fund program. Mm -hmm. Then again, I like to say something about the fund program. Mm -hmm. It depends on the type of program you're actually going for. And my colleague Bryce Simmons has done some research mm -hmm. in that regard. There are various types of programs that you could go for. I mean, he's asked a question, for instance, why is the government not going for a rapid finance instrument? Mm -hmm which in 2020, Senegal, uh, the likes of uh, uh, Namibia, mm -hmm. and, and some other countries went in for. If South Africa managed a $4.3 billion uh, RFI program from the fund. Mm -hmm. and, and, so, and, and these funds typically come at virtually no, uh, low interest, uh, should I call it, uh, rate. If you mm. compare them with the, 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 the bond market where we borrow, we are currently borrowing almost at 8%, mm -hmm. right? It even goes further to suggest that if we said the economy is that rosy, why don't we behave like the big boys who go for $50 billion, $24 billion on the IMF? So it is not necessarily the, the I think it's more or less the, the tag, the tag, the political tag that you've gone to an IMF program. And like I said, are you, think, it's, it's, are you serious? That you I, think that the politics of being it's just the politics. What, but, so the politics and then the timing damaging. Is that it, what you're it shouldn't saying? be actually? It's, it's the timing, probably the timing of, of going to the IMF, mm. the sort of facility we actually going for, which leads to the kinds of tags and the ego issues that we don't want to mm. deal, we don't want to deal with. So. Otherwise, the um, gentleman is essentially communicating that, look, government is the biggest spender. Government is the one that drives a country to an iceberg, as we currently have. Mm. If the government is able to rein in on its borrowing and rein in on its expenditure, then even though the other parts of the economy, the real sector, are doing well, mm. if we don't take care, the, the twin devils of the government's functions of excessive borrowing and excessive expenditure mm -hmm. will swallow all the, in fact, will dwarf the gains made in the real sector. Mm. That's essentially what he's trying to say, which is why almost all the other the rating mm. agencies are saying, well, you are the one in the seat. You detect, if you borrow so much from the domestic economy, what it mm. means is that you drive away, you dwarf the, uh, the, the portion of money available to the private sector. Mm -hmm which means that it has consequence on economic productivity. Uh, and of course, what it obviously means is that government necessarily does not use the money profitably. So it's a pretty simple mm. uh, uh, function, really. I, I do not, I'm not too sure that going to the fund, um, well, again, as I said, it depends on the time you're going to the fund. Mm. Otherwise, there are a portfolio of... Uh, fund programs that you can actually assess and we should have probably started long ago 
the last time I went was in 2014, right? I think 2018. We extended in 2018. Yeah. So 2015-ish. Yeah. Into 2018. Yeah. They extended, I think, another year. Another year. Okay. So. So. It's like it's almost mid-term. You know. The data and Professor Buckwin has done this mm -hmm. clearly shows that any time there are political transitions mm -hmm. or we have a major reform effort, mm -hmm. after that we go to the IMF. Oh, the data suggests the that. The data suggests that. <laughs> so the, that's why. So it's clear. Um, so we are yeah. But in fact, it does not suggest that this is structural, not because if you yes, if, so if, you, if you've done sixteen times in fifty something years of independence, and you're saying that it's time to major transitions. Well, it's structural, and the structural nature of it is that the government is at the commanding height of the wastefulness. See, the point to be made is that um, the government drives economic activity, unfortunately, in this country. There's mm. too much government involvement in our lives. Mm. And if the governments were using the funds profitably, would be better off. Mm. So the reasons why I started off by saying that the, 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 the problems of our economy, obviously, have been the weak productivity. Of the private sector mm. coupled with high borrowing cost and obviously it's an excessive waste um who are the ones driving all of these uh, should i call them um, activity mm. it's the government the government is the largest spender the government wants to have a conversation about taxation only when it realizes that the kitty is small but mm. what is in the kitty is small these conversations about the uh, democratizing taxation an equitable tax system should have been had much longer than now um, so that it doesn't become something like uh, an SOS that mm. look you are not paying a fair share of the tax and even then that in itself has to be questioned mm -hmm. this conversation about not people are not paying tax should also lead us to the type of taxation system we want in the country I mean the former communist uh, countries decided most of them decided to go towards a uh, flat tax mm -hmm. and I think it's helping them it's more predictable, it's very easy to collect, rather than this very wishy-washy system mm. we have where mm. we give almost two point something billion dollars in terms of uh, tax credit. Mm -hmm. And we can never see the value addition to the economy, mm. right? I mean, the peers we compare ourselves with, some of the taxes we pay in this country are quite high. Mm -hmm. Some of the port taxes are quite high. Um, some of the taxes we pay at our airports, aviation-related taxes are much higher than our peers. <coughs> so it looks to me that, yes, there's a conversation to be had about paying your fair share. Mm. But the person. Let me ask you a question on taxes. Do you think the government's uh, approach to taxes, in terms of things like the property tax, reveals a certain fear of taxing the rich? Because there's an assumption in Ghana that if you look at the growth of the construction sector and then the the share amount of development within the middle to upper class real estate and the low levels of collection of property tax a low hanging fruit using your words could be property tax but for the past five years we haven't really seen any effort towards that what is your view on that well i don't know whether to call it uh, inertia or just deliberate uh, in, in yeah, inertia, basically. Mm. I, I don't see any issues around taxing the rich here at all. Mm. I mean, uh, properties are the most visible uh, assets to, to, to tax, really. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the work that must be done, the hard work of doing proper valuations, mm -hmm. 
is what is missing. Mm. And this is where maybe the land valuation board uh, must be made, or the Ministry of Lands and is it Forestry, mm -hmm. uh, Ministry of Lands, must somehow see the need to engage a lot of valuers. In order mm -hmm. to and it, and this can be done. I recall when we were leaving school, you know, I read land economy, which is a which has a division of valuation. By the way, I recall most of my mates uh, were national service were asked to help go around and do some um, assessment of values of certain properties. Mm. Could have just continued from there. Mm. But then we 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 we, we you did land economy at Tech, eh? Yes, I did. So you understand? But do you need a, a, a I mean, frankly, okay, maybe I'll, I'll I'll deal with that later because this is not a discount of property tax. But isn't that an excuse that you haven't done valuation? Uh, you can look at how much people sell the prices. Go on the listings. If you go to the average website for these properties in cantonments, if somebody is selling a property for five hundred forty thousand dollars, why do you need land valuation to know that if I want to even do a property tax of ten percent, the amount is. 54. Well, presumably before the property is sold, there's a valuation. And sometimes the valuation may be depressed. I mean, it depends. I mean, but at I least you can start there. I mean, why do you need to spend money to do a whole valuation of every property before you do property tax collection? Well, you may not. They may, they must do, you could do some, some sort of landscaping. I'm not saying every property must be valued per se, but mm. there are bands and there are zones. Mm. Um, a property that is this property here. Yeah, should command a much higher value than the uh, uh, this similar property in my village, the local Kumasi. I see. That's the reason why I do valuation. Okay, let me come to Doctor Kwachi before I take my my next break. I have quite a number of messages, Doc. So I will be interested in reading your your thesis on uh, case studies on IMF programs. And so please share it with me when we are done, if it's still public knowledge. But let me just wrap up on the IMF question with a couple of things. So, what do you, are you are you advising that the government should go for the program directly, or you're saying that there's nothing wrong with going for an IMF program? But it's their choice. I want to know your, your view on whether this is the time to go for the program or not. A definite uh, statement on the IMF issue. Well, uh, Ben. Sometimes the answer, this question says not easy to answer yes or no. <laughs> um, what I've said is that I want to understand the government itself. They should do a re introspection of themselves and see what they want to do or what they do not want to do. Because I am saying that if they take some of the measures that uh, I mean we have suggested around this uh, Zoom, you know, meeting. Uh, on the revenue side, on the expenditure side, I mean, they, they will be able to bring the, the the budget, which is now or fiscal policy, which is now the focus of the markets, mm -hmm. it, to a level that will give confidence, the, the kind of confidence or credibility that we want to seek from the IMF, you know, because the markets want to see whether you yourself, your policies are credible and i'm saying that the government itself can do enough to demonstrate that but if you are not prepared to do enough to demonstrate that then of course you run to the imf to seek that cover of credibility cover from the imf and and, and then the investors will take it from there um, so given what i know can be done on the revenue side and then on the expenditure side i don't think that we should be going to the IMF. 
Um, mm. By the way, by the way, the statement that the rest rep put up, mm -hmm. and uh, in the end saying that, oh, the IMF is ready, you know, to assist Ghana. Um, they always assist us, you know, they give us policy advice under the Article 4 consultations, mm -hmm. I think annually, except that the advice there is not binding. But having worked at the IMF, I know that they would always want to engage with developing countries. You know, that is part of their job. And they take satisfaction in coming to you to give you policy advice. And then also, the 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 fee the charge the financial charge because the the imf funds are not free mm -hmm. at least there's some small financial charge they also use it they benefit from it they need it <laughs> you know so when they that approach you i'm saying that sincerely they want to help us but they also give you funding which is a, a loan and they and they and they benefit how even how small it is they still benefit from it mm. so i'm not surprised that you know the imf is courting uh, courting ghana uh, but as i've said uh, unless the government is not prepared to take those very harsh measures mm. on the let, let me read let me read something to you for your comments i know you've been uh, on the bank of ghana board before you've been on monetary policy committee so you know how these things work but the president is quoted as having said that e-levy will provide more jobs and reduce dependency on debt and i'm assuming that these are uh, things he's being told to say because of whatever and I, I don't know whether that may reflect some of the problem let me just read this story on citynewsroom.com published last uh, week the government has reiterated the need for the introduction of the e-levy the president tweeted on Wednesday, 27th January, that the e-levy will, among other things, reduce the country's dependence on foreign aid. The e-levy will provide the government with revenue to build more roads, provide more jobs and opportunities for the youth, and reduce our dependency on debt. His comments is part of efforts by government to sensitize the public on the need for the introduction of the e-levy, including a nationwide town hall which started on Kofredia on Thursday. The government says the feedback from the engagement will inform it on the implementation of the levy. Now, then it goes on to talk about the town hall meeting and stuff. I mean, based on everything I know about the e-levy, how much it will bring, why will the president tweet that the e-levy will reduce our dependency on foreign aid, provide us with revenue to build more roads, more jobs and opportunities for the youth? I mean, from all the calculations, this is... I mean, how much are you going to get from this? So is the e-levy is, is e not being oversold to him for him to make this serious tweet this is just last a week and a half ago doc i mean <laughs> is this yeah, not part uh, of the yeah, problem yeah uh, ben can i can i come in yes please yeah you know the e-levy as we have said is just about 1.1 billion dollars that's not a lot of money i mean how much rules can can that build let alone the other programs which are also earmarked under the to be financed by the e-levy and we are already talking about, you know, a lot of earmarking of our revenue. Um, you know, we use it for, uh, well, in other words, the District Assembly's Common Fund, a GET Fund, National Insurance, uh, uh, National Health Insurance Road Fund, and, and all that. 
So this, uh, by saying that you are going to earmark the e-levy for these other sectors, it's another form of, you know, revenue earmarking. Um, and even we say that in economy, we say that money is fungible. I, I find it difficult to visualize that, you know, the e-levy can be separated from the rest of government revenue and then targeted to, you know, those sectors. Of course, they said there will be a system to, to monitor it. To me, the e-levy is not bringing enough money. It is multiple taxation, you know, and all that. So, and there is a way to avoid that. I've listed a lot, a lot of areas, revenue measures that can be taken, and then they will rake in a lot more, much, much more than, you know, we are expected from the e-levy. Of course, the president is saying that because the e-levy is going to be a permanent, it is like the, it's expected to be permanent. In other words, every year, and then he expects it maybe to increase also as a, you know, electronic transactions increase. Maybe that, that's why he's making, making that point. But I think that it's too much to be saying that it will do all those things that he's talking about. I, I see. So uh, you think that you will not stick your neck out and say go to IMF or not? You, <laughs> you are. <laughs> oh, myself. I think. I think. Let me make myself clear before yes. you know. Because I have said that if we do our homework well, we don't need to go to the IMF. But if government is not prepared to do its homework, then we'll con continuously or increasingly come under pressure from investors. And, that, and, and then the pressure may build up to the extent that because it will affect your sovereign rating, your, 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 your bond, your ability to borrow, it will affect your exchange rate and all that. Mm. So the pressure will mount to a point that maybe you cannot resist anymore going to the IMF. And we don't have to get there. All right. Uh, final question. Did you say that the IMF benefits if we go on an IMF program? I, I just wanted to yes. declare on that. What, how do yes, they benefit I, from us going on a program with them? Yes, I've worked with the IMF before, and I know that, you know, the, the charge, the fee that they charge on their loans to, you know, countries that borrow from them, eh? mm -hmm. it goes to support the, the, the administrative budget of the IMF. Okay. Mm -hmm. You may think that, is, you know, some countries take huge amount. If Mexico is borrowing, for instance, Mexico could get... $10 billion, or even sometimes some countries, 20, it depends on yeah. the, the size of your quota in the fund, because you also make a contribution to the fund that determines your quota. That is why smaller countries like Ghana, we don't, we don't normally get a lot from the IMF because your quota in the fund is also small. Okay. So if I say that we should go to the IMF, the last time we got 1 billion over three years. I'm sure that if we are going back, we won't get anything beyond $2 billion because our quota, our ability to borrow is determined by the size of our quota. Okay? By saying that the fund will benefit, of course, they want to go out and give advice, policy advice to countries. That is the work that they do. But I'm saying that the fee that they charge on their loans also helps them, their, their budget. Because I thought their loans were zero interest rates. Actually, no, please. They no, are not. It's not zero. No, really? no. There's a, at, at least. There is, that, will is, be, that, is that not why you call them concessionary loans? Yeah, but concessionary, it's not like grants. They are not grants. Mm. If you go to the World Bank, 
neither. Then then that you can get you know free money I mean okay. grants. Uh -huh. But the IMF doesn't give grants. You know, they will charge you a fee, administrative fee, something you know, which will come to maybe one point something percent. But you put one point seven percent on somebody getting twenty billion dollars. <laughs> you know. Um so I don't want to overstretch that point. Okay. But I have worked there, and I know that, you know, when some of the big countries in Asia, you know, exited from the IMF, you know, the big countries that were borrowing huge amounts, exited from the IMF, it affected the IMF's administrative budget. I was there, mm. it, and that forced the IMF to do some um, restructuring of the staff. That they, you know, they, 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 they put they out did, they did their own uh, fiscal restructuring <laughs> exactly they said if you want to take advantage they, they, you know of uh, well you, you some payment and leave the fund mm. you know, and, and a lot of people yeah, a lot of people took advantage of it because the the, the amounts involved were mm. substantial mm. and they left mm. the fund wow okay yes this is interesting so even though you you've worked with them as a consultant for 10 years you will not outrightly say, Mr. Kanoforiata, pick up your phone and call Dr. Tuna Mama tomorrow morning. You need to think about your homegrown solutions, start exerting your own fiscal discipline, so you don't even get to a point where you are forced to go to them. Although some people think we've already reached that point. You think that we still have something to do to salvage the situation before we actually go cap in hand begging. Yes, that's what I believe. And, and uh, this is, and then we will have to take some very harsh measures, as I've said. You know, which sometimes some of them may may not be politically palatable, and that's why I'm not in government. So, so when you are speaking outside government and as an economy, professional economist, you may be able to say things that maybe because our own colleague, Dr. Baumia, is is in government. He's an economist, mm. you know, but maybe because he's in government. The, the politics <laughs> will affect his decisions. Mm. So, the, so looking at it from the outside, I can say that, oh, if I were there, I would have taken these measures, I would have done this, I would have done that, both on the revenue side on the, or the, and the expenditure side. Because they are in government, they may not be prepared to take those measures because they think it may hurt them politically. Mm. Because the likes yes. of, uh, the likes of uh, Ricketts will not give them space. Ricketts and Co. will be giving them stress on radio every morning, saying, you said we're incompetent. Now who is more incompetent? So because of that, they won't do what may be right for the economy. Exactly. Um. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you, Doc. I, I, I appreciate your candor and your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your insights on this. Uh, we'll leave it here. I'll come back in after the break because I know Ricketts is laughing <laughs> because he, he knows exactly what he would do if the government goes to IMF. Whether that is in the interest of Ghana or interest of politics, we'll find out. Whether it's Inter what that is doing. Interest of Ghana. <laughs> we'll also deal with that. <laughs> Later on, we'll also talk about fuel prices because there's also a couple of issues that have come up. Fuel prices have crossed the seven-CD barrier. There are calls for the government to extend the suspension of the price stabilization and recovery levy which was uh, sort of um, suspended for three months but the suspension ended 31st january and it's led to fuel prices crossing seven easily in fact copec is predicting that fuel prices will reach eight cities a liter 
eight cities a liter before mid-year if something drastic does not happen we'll try and uh, uh, deal with that as well when we come back plus your comments this is the big issue your saturday news analysis program and bernard Abler sitting in for a regular host we'll be right back stay with us why don't you get away from here everything you must change everything you must change everything you must change news analysis program and my name is Bernard Abler. We have two issues today. The first one is whether or not Ghana should uh, go for an IMF program. Guest in studio, Franklin Kujo of Imani, Kwekuri Ketegan, MP for Cape Coast South. Uh, we had earlier on Professor Lord Mensah, University of Ghana Business School, and Dr. John Kwachi. Now, let me summarize the positions I've heard so far. Um, Professor Lord Mensah says we don't need to go to the IMF. Uh, we, we have to start doing what we have to do now. Dr. Kwachi doesn't seem to think we should go to IMF. Although he feels if we don't do certain things drastically, we'll be forced to go. So the, the two academics don't think we should go. Franklin thinks we should go because we, are, we have already reached <laughs> decision point. Now, you haven't told me whether we should go or not. You have been a bit evasive. So I'll come to you to give me a clear position. Yeah. But let me read a few comments before I come to you. Good morning, Bernard. It's high time we as developing countries began to do things the proper way. The Bretton Woods institutions will never help us to develop. Suleiman Adamba, uh, the big six secretary, Tamale. Now, says Bernard, can the government share the already existing 1% with the telcos? After all, they've already given up 0.25%. This is in reference to the telcos. Uh, another one from Julius in Somania. Bernard, you remember the conditions IMF gave President Mahama? No recruitment in public sector, among others. Uh, he doesn't think it's a good idea to go. Maybe they will come and tell us to cancel free SHS, free TVET, etc., etc. Let's share the cost. 0.95 will not be bad. Reclassify church activities and tax and 30% and raise the threshold to between 200 and 500. Kukula Plaza, the E-Levy is just electronic pickpocketing by the government. I don't agree with it. So, I have a clear position from everybody on this panel on the IMF. I'm not sure I have your position. Yeah, man. Um, to give you a position, I just don't say go to IMF or not to go to IMF. To give you a position, I want us to just do a small analysis here. Okay. And I want to also narrow the analysis because if you say going to IMF, it involves, you know, so many, so many things. Mm -hmm. But let's just narrow it to the situation that we are in at the moment. Mm -hmm. 2022, we want to impose e-levy on our people mm -hmm. versus going to the IMF. Yeah. Let's look at the cost-benefit analysis of doing so. Then we can come to a conclusion whether we should go to the IMF or not to go to the IMF. Mm -hmm. The E-Levy, and we are talking about just 2022, mm -hmm. the government's thinking is that E-Levy is going to be charged every year. Mm. If you go to IMF, it's going to be a one-off, hopefully. You know, though we've been there 16 times. But if you just take 2022, mm -hmm. how do we get ourselves out of 2022 even to get to 2023? Mm -hmm. The year was originally going to be just a little over $1 billion. Mm -hmm. Now, the revision that we've been given 1.5 now will give us about $5.7 billion. So, year for 2022, if it started in January, or if it has started in January, would have given us just a little under a billion. When we come to IMF, if we go on an IMF program and ask for money, mm -hmm. 
we will probably get between one to two billion. So whatever we get from IMF this year will be more than what we'll get from E-Levy. That's one. Mm -hmm. on, on money side. Based on the assumptions you've made, yes. they are correct. Yes. Well, they, yes. I agree with you. Based on your assumptions. Yes. Yes. Number two, mm. you will not get a policy advice on E-Levy. <laughs> but you will get a policy advice <laughs> on the, when you go to the IMF. You will not get policy credibility from E-Levy. <laughs> you get a policy credibility from going to the IMF. Mm. The IMF will, will basically enhance your image, you know, externally. The, yeah, externally. But now it damage you politically, domestically. Well, it, it wouldn't unless you made some utterances in the past about not going to the IMF and now you are in a position where you have to eat, you know, your, your you know, whatever. Humble pie. Humble pie. Mm. Now, you look at it and you, you just ask yourself, okay, our ratings are down. Mm. We've never been at, you know, the CWA one before. How do we get ourselves out of there? EMF is not going to get you out of there, but credibility from the IMF will probably get you out, out of there. EMF is not going to give you the discipline that we need, fiscal discipline that we need, because we've been taking all these monies, COVID or otherwise, and we are still in the same situation. So hopefully, going to the IMF will give you that. But the question becomes, mm. we've been to the IMF 16 times, so what mm. is different? Mm. And let me give you this analogy. It's like you are out of shape and you want to go to the gym. Mm. You don't have the motivation to go to the gym yourself. So you hire um, a gym instructor. Okay. The gym instructor puts you back to shape and then gives you all the things that you need to do for you to be able to continue. You come back from the gym as after the six weeks or something gym instructor you start drinking your beer eating the stuff that you what's what do you think is going to happen to you you're going to get bloated again and then you sit down and look at yourself and say ah i need to go to the gym again you don't have the motivation to go to the gym yourself if you have the motivation <laughs> because the, the gym instructor mm. put in place or help you to put in place all the kind of motivation you need the fiscal committee, mm -hmm. the government itself set up a, a, a committee to deal with the exchange rate and, and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. We are still in the same place that we, we are. Hopefully, mm -hmm. this time around, when you call the gym instructor to come and put you back to shape, you will follow the things that they ask you to do so that you don't end up there again. Wow. For that reason, Ghana <coughs> must go to IMF now. Otherwise... As you are still sitting in your couch and drinking beer, your situation is going to get worse. More work will be needed when you go, what you call, finally call the gym instructor. That is, if you are not call, if you don't call the doctor, you might end up not calling the, you know, the instructor, but rather you need a doctor. So if we don't do the IMF now, mm. we will never get ourselves out of this credibility situation. In fact, the credibility situation now it's worse than when the NDC when we were in office mm. because we didn't have a triple you know what is it called uh, C, triple C uh, plus you know status in terms of a uh, credit rating mm. we have no credibility out there we cannot go to the market and what is going to happen now one thing one important thing why we should go to the IMF 
The IMF was originally designed, mm -hmm. this is the original function of the IMF, mm -hmm. to help you stabilize your exchange rate. This is the job of the IMF. Mm -hmm. Before all the other things, policy advice and credibility came in. So the money that you get in from IMF is actually to help you deal with your exchange rate, which eventually becomes a bigger, bigger problem. Because if you are not able to pay your debt, at the moment, the only thing that is holding us or that is making the rating agency hold on that we are, we are, we are still credible in a way that we haven't defaulted, maybe that's the word, not credible, we've not defaulted, is that they believe that we have enough reserves to basically pay for our the debt. Next, the, yes, in, at least in 2022. Yes, and deal with exchange rate challenges that we may have. Yes. Why did we get that reserve? We got that reserve as a result of the last euro bond of about 3.5 billion that we did. Now, that money is being spent on paying our debt and trying to you know, pop up our exchange rates. When that money dries out, E-Levy cannot be a substitute. But IMF money can go into the central bank to pop up our reserves to keep us going. Mm. We need to be clever at this. Otherwise, in the end, we will get ourselves into a much deeper problem. Because if you are not getting the, you are not going to the, the, the international capital market, where are you going to get money from? You are going to now come home and crowd the market to borrow from the domestic market. Now, there's only limited money here. Part of the money you get, or part the, some of the investors in your domestic market are actually foreign investors. In fact, our domestic loans, is not only our foreign loans that are controlled by foreigners, but a big chunk yes. of our domestic debt is also controlled by foreigners. The same decision they've taken out there that we can't come to the market, those here will also take decision that it's about time to go. Now, look at what has happened globally. Mm. As economists pick up, mm. interest rate and stuff, Americans are going to stop uh, quantitative, they haven't stopped already. The rates are likely to go up. So investing globally becomes attractive. As compared so, to frontier markets yeah. where people invest when things are flat in the Western yes, world. In, in the, when things were flat in the Western world. Now that the, the global market gets a little bit excited, people have options. So mm. when these people begin to leave your market... So which means that even the analysis that we will not get enough money from the outside world is not just based on our fundamentals. It's also based on external development. It's external development. We don't look at both. Mm. So external mm. development can hurt us even domestically mm -hmm. by these guys pulling out of the market. And when they pull out, what happens? They take their money, they change it to dollars, they hurt your CD, and they leave the market. So if we are not careful and deal with this issue properly and stop being shy of going to the IMF because of things that we have said ourselves, we are going to be in serious trouble out of our own stubbornness that's that's interesting so with all your example of the gym you're saying go to imf now yes and, wow. and, and hopefully when, we, when you come okay. out this time mm. you will you will you will adhere to the things that you have asked you to do very interesting so at least we have a position now yes uh, two of the guests say go to imf uh one says don't go one says I won't say you should go, but if you if you misbehave, you will go. <laughs> so it's a bit like 
to bring about. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you want to add a quick one? Because I want to move to fuel prices as well. But Rikis, thank you for that uh, example. Uh, so, I want to move to something else, which is related, right? Mm -hmm. So, fuel prices to hit 80 this per liter soon. Adopt dual pricing method, COPEC to government. This story was published on the 5th of February. So, that's, I think, today. Is today 5th or 6th? I'm even confused. <laughs> Today is fifth. Okay. Now, the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers Ghana has asked the government to adopt measures aimed at cushioning Ghanaians against the astronomical increases in petroleum prices. COPEC is already predicting that the price per liter of the product will hit eight CDs by March 2022. And mind you, we are in February. Executive Secretary of COPEC, Dankanamua, on Eyewitness News, lamented that government is doing too little to bring down the prices of fuel and must immediately devise uh, must immediately um, devise means to address the incessant increases quote in real terms fuel prices increasing these days happen to be one of the very things pushing the economy to the brink the year began with fuel price around 6.6 .6 cities per liter unfortunately we now have some omc selling at 7.50 it is our estimation that probably by the end of march if international price trends continue to move as they are doing, we will be crossing the 8 CD per liter mark. Then the writer gives a background. Prices of fuel have gone up at the pumps across the country because the price stabilization and energy recovery levy, which is a key component of the price build-up, has been restored by the MPA after it was suspended for three months. The levy was suspended last year as a means of reducing the burden on consumers. Already, COPEC has called for the withdrawal of the levy and has now urged the government to adopt what it calls the dual pricing module to stabilize fuel prices and the accompanying economic difficulties. Here's another quote from him. Our expectations as a chamber is that authorities should be looking for ways to bring down fuel prices. One could bring the dual pricing method where anytime international market prices go up, they ease down on the taxes and anytime prices decline they extend the full of that to the taxes because fuel prices going up on the world market is of greater benefit to ghana than we are currently making it to be and then he says so as you can see we have crossed the seven cd mark it's quite certain by end of by second window of february we will commence which will commence in about 12 days prices will go up again so let me let me play a couple of quick insights for viewers and then i'll come in studio to discuss this fuel prices fast approaching the eight cd per liter mark what can be done to reduce that this is not the first time that fuel prices have gone up this year the last time it happened it incurred the wrath of commercial drivers across the country who embarked on a protest demanding a reduction in the price of fuel Although most of the drivers took part in the protest, it failed to yield the desired results. The price of fuel went up again on Tuesday and, once again, public transport drivers are unhappy about the developments. The NPA explains that the current increment is as a result of the reintroduction of the price stabilization and recovery levy. The levy was suspended last year as part of efforts to cushion consumers from the constant rise in the price of fuel products in the country. However, leadership of the GPRTU says this increment is not in the interest of their members. The fares that we charge are the same, and yet we are buying more fuel. And so it's affecting us. Sometimes at the close of the day, when you take out 
the cost of fuel from your sales. You even can't get your daily sales. And if you cannot get your daily sales, and so how do you get job money to your house? So it's really affecting us. But because um, the government has pleaded with us to remain calm until the negotiations are completed, there's nothing we can do. Some of the drivers also accused the government of being insensitive to their plight. First, if I buy 100 cities, I can take and work and close. By now, if I buy 100 cities, unless 200 cities. So by, if you talk, it will not go and end anywhere. So we just keep quiet. The uh, GPR to uh, our bosses, you see, they should have to talk about about it but we when we talk it doesn't end anywhere uh-huh so we don't know how to do now and deeper to boss to they don't mind because it's something uh, they are our boss uh-huh our boss don't be here and someday to uh, uh, regional national though they are big men you see, if they don't talk out, we don't know why, why, what to say. Uh -huh. No, it's hurting a lot. If we are talking, uh, the government didn't listen to us. So, we still, I didn't beg the government. If you like, if you take the visa for to 100 Ghana, we buy it. Only God will listen to the drivers. But now, I'll, uh, just, uh, I want to talk to our, our, our DPRTU. So they're begging her to try to uh, find some small money to the, uh, our fare. Because now, if you, if you work out, the money all buy for diesel. We didn't get anything. Police too, they, they worry us. So they beg the DPITU executive to come in. At least, if we find some small money on it, then we too, we, we, I appreciate it. The drivers are calling on the government and the GPRTU to urgently reduce the fuel prices. Reporting for City News, my name is Nashika Caesar. The price stabilization and recovery levy was initially taken off the price buildup of fuel on the 1st of November 2021 for two months, but was later extended till the end of January 2022. The move was to absorb some of the shock on consumers from the frequent increases in prices on the international market. But with this latest announcement from the National Petroleum Authority, fuel prices at the pumps are expected to go up from the 1st of February. This will mean prices are likely to go up by 16 pesos per litre on petrol, 14 pesos per litre on diesel and 14 pesos per kilogram on LPG. Head of pricing at the NPA, Abbas Ibrahim Tasunti, has been speaking on the development. The price stabilization and recovery levy, as you are aware, um, it was removed for a two-month period from the 1st of November 2021 to the 31st of December 2021. Um, a further extension of this removal was done for the month of January, and uh, we communicated this to the industry that it will be it will last for another one month, which ends on 31st January 2022. So, as we speak, the levies on petrol, diesel, and LPG have been off for three months, which expires today, 31st. Um, so, per our letter, it is to be restored effective 1st February 2022.
The purpose of the price stabilization and recovery levy is to stabilize prices for consumers and pay for the subsidies on premix fuel and residual fuel oil. Mr. Tasonti stated that continuing with the suspension of the levy would hamper the provision of the latter. If we remove it forever, it means they will not have money to pay and then we'll have to look elsewhere. You remember one of the main reasons why price regulation came into being was because of the non-payment of subsidies that accrued on fuel products and therefore it threatened the supply of these products and therefore we have to make sure that the levy whilst we use, we use it to pay the subsidies it can also be used to stabilize so for the payment period that it has been taken off there has nothing has gone into the account and uh, we've been using what the, the kind of the backlog or the balance in the account over this period to pay for these subsidies as we speak the account is dry so if we remove it forever or we continue to remove um, zero in the levy, it means we won't have money. And then the, and now the, the subsidy or the supply, the continuous supply of premix for and residual oil, for oil will be threatened, which we don't want that to happen. So unfortunately, uh, for the consumer, we've enjoyed, it has to come back. We've enjoyed the removal for three months, but this is the time to bring it back so that we don't have an issue of financial um, challenges for the suppliers of these products. So that was uh, Abbas Tasunti from the MPA ending that report from the news desk. This is still the big issue, your favorite weekend news analysis program. We're now talking fuel prices and the panel has expanded. We started with Lord Mensa and Dr. Kwachi. They're left now. I have in studio now Isaac Esau. He's the Deputy General Secretary in charge of Admin GPR to you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I also have Franklin Kujo and Kukuri Kitegan in studio. Thank you for staying. I'll start with... Uh, Home, uh, a chamber of petroleum consumers, um, Duncan Amwa has joined us. It was his, his statement I read earlier. I want him to clarify a few points for us. He is the Executive Secretary of the Chamber of Petroleum Consumers, COPEC. Uh, Duncan, thank you for joining us on part two of the, the, the big issue. You are saying that where fuel prices have gotten to, by end of March, they could hit eight cities per liter. What is the basis of that very grim prognosis? Uh, Bernard, good morning, and uh, good morning to your guest in studio. In fact, I followed your discussion uh, since big issues began this morning. Uh, you're doing a great deal of service to Madagala. Uh, Bernard, we're already at 7 CD 45, 7 CD 50, some at 7 CD 36. Uh, we've crossed the 7, we are just a few pesos uh, shy of 8. Mind you, with the current window, uh, which happens to be uh, the one that started uh, from the first and should end on the 14th of the month, uh, this is where crude prices <laughs> probably are getting crazy. And uh, you see crude now moving from the 89.90 as we speak, it's around 93, and it's still going. The threat of Ukraine attacking, uh, Russia attacking Ukraine mm. uh, is putting a lot of pressure on the European market because of the uncertainty. And mm. so they will keep buying. Uh, COVID has also slowed down and global demand mm. is likely to surge by a minimum 8% this year per outlook. Mm. Then, at, mind you, at the peak of COVID, around 2020, between March and June, Crude prices, and for that matter, fuel prices, petrol, diesel, slumped. In fact, for petrol, diesel, we saw a dip from $540 per metric 
to around $180 a metric. Now, that gets OPEC worried. And OPEC says, okay, we're going to slow down or cut back on production numbers. And so for the consumption globally of 100 billion barrels uh, daily, OPEC was able to do a slowing down of as much as 10 billion barrels, although demand had also slumped uh, to around 70, 75 million uh, per, per stream day. As we speak, the countries that had a lot of easing or lockdowns as far as COVID-19 COVID is concerned, they are all back to productivity. India, China are back to consuming the huge numbers. Yet, the 10 million barrels that OPEC uh, decelerated on, uh, their last meeting, they agreed they were only going to be able to come back 400,000. Even as at the end of January, the report is that they were able to just increase by 222,000 uh, barrels. It gives you a certain shortfall of over 9 million uh, barrels daily. So there's pressure on the supply side because OPEC is not flooding the market anymore. Demand is also increasing. Uncertainty between Ukraine and Russia is also heightening the fears across the European bloc. So you can imagine what outlook for 2022 looks like. It doesn't look as though prices are going to drop this year uh, as we have seen in over the past 14 years. Hmm. Well, mostly in January, it goes up a bit the first window. By the second window, it slowed down. In February, it's going down. It goes down all the way to March. If you check prices, we have crossed 93 and it's still growing. So, keep on tick. The next window, which commences uh, somewhere 16th of February, today is 5th, if I'm, if I'm right. Yes. So, in 11 days, you are going to see 10, 20, 30 pesos increase further because international market prices are still going up. Again, the city, which we have complained about previously, it's also not helping the fuel importers markets. Hmm. They have to resort to what you call the forward uh, FX calculation. If I'm bringing in fuel today and need to pay my supplier in, say, 120 days, uh, and the thinking is that I need $10 million to pay a supplier, if the CD was to a dollar, and the thinking is that by the time I'm done selling and I need to pay the supplier, it could be uh, a CD.2. Or one one CD twenty mm. to a dollar. What it means is that I need to factor that point two, which is about two hundred thousand uh, extra or two million extra into my pricing today. So we have suggested the Bank of Ghana take a second look at the way we auction dollars on the open markets. When the fuel importers would have a certain stringent need, so the Bank of Ghana decided to take a second look at the auction dollars and channel some mm, mm. to the petroleum importers, then you could be taking care of that aspect of our pricing. Unfortunately, that is not being done. And so the CD, as far as some of the fuel importers today are quoting, they are quoting 6.7. Some others are doing almost 6.8 to a dollar. That factors into pricing at the DDC level. Mm. So before the OMCs would even buy from DDCs, Prices would have gone up coupled with international market prices, and eventually the 
the OMCs would have to reflect these numbers okay. at the point. So, okay. give up. When you do 21st West end of uh, February, and March comes, also with 10, 21st West, 10, 20, the ACD is more than a reality by close Thank you. Duncan, thank you. I'll, I'll come back to you later on your, your proposed uh, dual pricing method. Let me come to Mr. Sal. GPRT, <laughs> are, are you lacing your boots for a, a, a transport fare increment? Because I'm sure you also watch the price. Duncan is saying now it's 7.36, 7.45, 7.5 per liter, both petrol and diesel. What is the mood within the GPRTU about this and what does this mean for fuel, uh, for transport fares? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, we aware when we decided to make a sit down strike somewhere early December last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, we were able to sit down with the ministry. Mm. And uh, the assurance was that fuel price will be coming down. Okay. At the time, fortunately, it came down mm -hmm. a bit. But unfortunately, it has started coming up again. So, uh, the collection of private transport organizations met, that is, I, I think Friday. Yeah. With the, just this Friday? Just this Friday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the aim of uh, coming together mm. to maybe... To start your things again. again. <laughs> <laughs> but this time around, I think, fortunately, um, the ministry has shown concern and I mm -hmm. think it has uh, what is called invited the leadership. So God will on Monday... We may you are going for a meeting on Monday with the ministry? With the ministry, yes. Sir. And have you decided what you will tell the minister when you meet him on Monday? Yeah, uh, yes, as for that. We, you know what you we say? know what we are going to say. You are holding your stone behind your back. Yes, please. Are you all on the same page? Because I know there are different transport groups. Yes, are so all the are, transport are, unions on the same page? Yeah, we, we are on the same page. We are on the same page. You know, um, <coughs> as, much, as much as we are safeguarding our industry, mm. uh, we have to also think about Ghanaians. See, so we know. And I think from time past, this fuel thing. You, you, the, transport, the, the, the transport sector is not giving the what is called this thing to decide for itself. Mm. Yeah, you are always excuse me to use the word coerced, mm. irrespective of which government is in power. Uh -huh. Yes, they will coerce you to at least come to a certain level, and that is exactly what we have been experiencing. So, can you give me a hint of the position when you met on Friday? What are the transport unions telling each other when you met on Friday? Okay, when we met on Friday, at, at least. If, 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 if you could see that um, we, we made some of our members who have that what, expertise in, in the sector to make some service, uh, market service. Mm -hmm. So they went for the service. The first meeting was to get the people on ground to do the survey. So this time around, we meet the ministry. We know what we are going to say. So therefore, they went and they came back to report to us on Friday. So we are ready to... Auto so you are going to face the ministry? Yes, please. You are going to ask for an increase in transport fares, aren't you? Yes, we you will. will. Yes, we will. Do, do, you know, do you have a percentage in your mind? Yes, at least we have a percentage in our mind. Can you give me a hint? Yeah, at least we are seeing that maximum 30%, minimum 25%. So you've already given yourself a ban? Yes. 25 to 30% <laughs> increase? When? 
So from your calculations from the field, yeah. you will ask for between 25 and 30 percent increase. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, please. You feel you feel how important is fuel to your operations? Because you people talk about spare parts, you talk about yeah, it fuel. You know when immediately fuel goes up. It affects all the other components and uh, factors that make up uh, the running of uh, the transportation. So therefore, you know, when you go to Abosokai, you, 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 you have no also say about how much the person sells his uh, goods. It is only the uh, transport sector who we are told to come to these terms, see 10%, 15%, 20%. Not, not taking into consideration what the other what is called factors what is called uh, inputs uh, what is called channel into the system. When was the last time you increased first? That was June 2021. June 2021. 2021 yes. What percentage did you increase by? At the time it was 15 uh, percent. Uh, we were uh, demanding about 20 percent there. We came to 15, but uh, eventually we were given 13 percent. So June 2021. Yes. So you are going to tell government on Monday that mm -hmm. you want between 25 and 30 increase? Yes. You no. Know, wow. Because of the COVID, at a certain point in time, we were, they said they were going to what is called cushion us with uh, the suspension of payment of some income tax for some quarters. Vehicle income tax. Income tax. You know, but because of the upper government of fuel, that uh, cushion, we needed everything. So we, we, we couldn't feel it. You know, so... In fact, if, if you are a transporter, you, you understand uh, uh, the kind of situation we are in now. Mm. Yes. When the driver comes, maybe you say he has at least uh, pocketed some of your money. No. It is the fuel. So 25 to 30% yes. is what you will say on Monday. Yes. That's at least when they give us 25, I think it, it will to be good. It will be good, yes. We'll take a break. When I come back, I'll ask my other guests in studio what they make of what is happening with the economy. It even appears the fuel prices are more serious than the e-levy. Mm. I also know that Imani's position generally has been anti-subsidy, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe you want to explain. I remember World Bank days, Kofichi Capital Times. There was a whole discussion about why we should keep paying these inefficient subsidies. Maybe you can help me with that when we come back as well. I see you're also making some notes in, in, <laughs> in Parliament. So we'll come back to that. This is uh, the big issue. So Saturday... Uh, news analysis program. Duncan is still on the on the Zoom. He will also tell us what the double pricing model is and how that can affect things. Stay with us. We'll be right back. More variety. Today we've discussed whether we should go back to IMF or not. Now we're talking about fuel prices. Dan Kanama of COPEC is suggesting, and he's actually giving us some numbers, that by the next pricing window, we'll be inching towards ACDs per litre for both petrol and diesel. And as a consequence, Mr. Esau, who is Isaac Esau from GPRTU, thinks they deserve at least 25% upward adjustment of transport fares. Let me come to Cape Coast South. Your, 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 your constituents are listening. Yeah. We've discussed e-levy and all the inconvenience there, the whole economy. Yeah. Now, fuel prices are also going up. Yeah. I mean, what is your view on what's going on? Um, ben, we, we need to understand a few things. Mm. And I think the, the ministry and the government also need to understand 
exactly what is going on. I don't think they've got the picture very well. Mm. We, before 2011, mm. Ghana was not producing oil. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, in whatever we have as a, a methodology for, you know, working out the pump price, mm -hmm. was based on some subsidies being paid to cushion the consumer. Mm -hmm. And that is by p paying the suppliers of fuel, you know, some, some sort of whatever price they, we, we, like, they come up with a price, we don't pass the full price on to the consumer. Government con um, basically takes, takes that bit. Now, that's what you do. And uh, um, you ask the gentleman um, to tell us about this dual pricing, you know, method thing. But in the past, what government used to do mm -hmm. is that when fuel prices are going up, in addition to the subsidies, they may remove certain taxes. Mm -hmm. These are done temporarily while the prices, and uh, I mean the price of crude is going up. Mm -hmm. Because let me get a bit mathematical here and make it simple. The price build up mm. or the methodology for calculating the, the fuel price Mm. It's a linear calculation mm -hmm. with parameters like crude oil and all that in there to arrive at the price. Mm -hmm. So as mathematicians will say, in a linear curve, all these parameters are directly proportional exactly. to what you come up with. Mm -hmm. So if crude prices are going up, mm -hmm. then your pump price will also go up mm -hmm. because it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the parameters in there or the key one. Mm -hmm. The taxes are basically um well they they are percentages of you know some of these uh, parameters that we are talking about so when you remove them then you basically reduce the price because so government um i would say had some control in the way the prices are paid at the pump Mm -hmm. And government control is in the taxes. Okay. So if they remove it or they put it back, depending on how things are going, and then with a subsidy. Now, the world has changed for mm. Ghana. Mm. Ghana has now become an oil-producing nation. Okay. We've joined the ranks of oil-producing nation, which means that whatever is going on in the, in the world of oil or crude, we are also benefiting because we are a net exporter of oil. Mm. Before 2010, we are a net importer mm. of oil. Now, what is happening at the moment? Why, where are we at the moment? Oil price is about 93 or not. Why is it at 93? Those are the things I said. Government is probably not looking at it. You know when we are doing a budget, mm. we actually estimate what we think the crude price will be yes. throughout the year. Yes. It is upon that that, that we make assumptions for revenue for, 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 for your expenditure. Mm -hmm. Okay? This year, 2022 budget, we have it in it as crude oil being around $65 per barrel. Per barrel. Today, it's around 90 and it's going to go up. Why is it going to go up? And the gentleman mentioned a few things. One of them is the geopolitics that is going on at the moment. Single out Ukraine, Ukraine and all that. And all so that. you expect the price to keep going up? To keep going up. Mm -hmm. 
until this tension actually comes down or mm. you know and would that you know to our benefit or hurt us if it keeps going well it will do both that is what i'm saying that the world has changed the world of before 2011 this will hurt us but and now the government will have to absorb it yeah but now we are also benefiting mm. as a as a as an oil producing nation mm -hmm. now you come to the second issue why the oil price is gone up and it's still going up mm -hmm. is to do with the supply chain disruptions mm. that happened during the COVID era and it's still it's still happening it's correcting itself but slowly the third thing is to do with opec controlling of supply mm. that the gentleman also mentioned mm. this all feed into the you know the supply chain stuff mm -hmm. now the other thing is to do with demand as I said earlier on, the world economy is recovering mm. out of the pandemic. That means that demand for oil, mm. which is the main ingredient for development, mm -hmm. is also going to go up. Mm -hmm. Now, when you have demand going up and supply is not there, matching up, matching up, then you are going to have price higher price going up. The other thing is to do with exchange rate. Mm -hmm. When our city keeps depreciating then it's going to affect obviously all this so it tells you that in the medium term and that is the whole of 2022 oil prices will be going up and not down the prediction is that we may hit 100 at various stages mm -hmm. which means that the breaking the eight you are talking about could even be breaking the nine but the question that we need to address is will that be a net benefit to us or yeah so that's where i'm coming where it's a net benefit or okay as i said we put 65 dollars in the budget or about 64 something yeah in the budget mm -hmm. which means that we have underestimated our revenue from the oil oil side mm -hmm. okay so the one for that we are going to get is not in the budget mm -hmm. when you come to the other side the costs that is happening as a result of the oil prices going up it's also not in our budget because so, the relationship between the crude yeah. price and how much we pay yeah. for finished product so the other factors then what is happening on both sides are contingencies so the question is do we import more finished product than we produce crude and well, then we when are, you do that netting then you know what that the, the, the net price will be better better for yeah, us but we are a net exporter so you can you can look at it from you know, separate stamp. But you see, hold on. We are net exporter, but yeah. not everything that we export belongs to us, because uh, because if you if are you saying we're net exporter on the basis of how much Ghana gets, because if you produce 165 barrels per day, not all of that comes to you, because the guy who 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 that yeah. didn't take what, some. What I'm trying to say, so we are net exporter. Yeah. If you're net exporter on the basis of total production yeah. or the net but, ownership. But being a net exporter, whether some of the money is going elsewhere or not. You are actually making a windfall as a result of the money. So, no, but you should use the you should use the amount of because I'm talking about revenue no, versus no. expenditure. Yeah. So the money. So if you produce 100 million barrels and 60 percent belongs to somebody else, you can only use 40 million as, as your revenue. Exactly. And I'm saying when you use that 40, are you still a net exporter? Absolutely. Still? Yes. Because look at it this way. If you look in the budget, okay, last year, I think we did 55 million okay mm -hmm. the money that is due us mm. if you use that to do a calculation of if we should do the same 55 million mm -hmm. you know because nothing else has changed we're probably going to produce the same amount if you do that 55 million barrels the money that we get as a country after you have stripped off all the others going to others 
will give us a, a 320 million US dollars went for coming to Ghana. On the revenue side. On the revenue side. So let's just even leave out whether we are net exporter or net, but we are going to get a windfall of 320 million and money that we have not anticipated. Mm. Mm. You are also going to get a cost. I don't have the figure for how much cost that will cost government. Mm -hmm. But it's about time that the model that we used in pricing fuel mm. should also have a windfall built in. Mm. So that when these things happen, you will use the windfall to cushion the so you can remove the tax and say, because I'm getting 320 million from the windfall, some of the taxes I've put in there for government benefit can go away. Is that what he's referring to? No, 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 no. You don't. What I'm saying is that in the past, you use the tax. But this time around, you don't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if you're yeah. a 320 windfall, you yeah. can say that then there are some taxes that you've built, put on the final cost of every yeah. pump that you can remove because you are getting unanticipated 320 million. So you don't need that tax on top of the price build up again well the if you go to the taxes uh, you are we are making the same point but in a different way mm. if you look at the taxes themselves mm. you cannot take and bring back taxes as and when you wish mm. because you have built the taxes into in your budget i see so if today i say the prices what is happening on the price side of the fuel mm. Is an unanticipated cost mm. so you cannot use a structured revenue to deal with it I see so leave the taxes in there mm. but the windfall which is also an unanticipated benefit mm -hmm. should be the one fighting the unanticipated cost good so if you build that into the, the build-up mm. if you are making 320 million for which is not your budget because your budget says your price is going to be 65 mm. that's what you've calculated the oil receipt on mm -hmm. but now you are going to get a 320 million that 320 million should be used to cushion the price if you built it in your formula how do you do that and as i'm saying it's a linear uh, so you so, so so you can use it to cushion yeah. the x pump for finished uh, product absolutely interesting analysis so that you wouldn't you know the price so will that be a subsidy or how will it work let me just i, I get your point though frankly his point is that you are getting 320 million if the price trends continue on the revenue side we haven't really calculated how much it will cost us in terms of finished product because as the the price per barrel rises finished product cost also goes up in the way because it's related even assuming it reduces that by even 50 you still have some win for there he's saying use that to cushion the end user and let me before Frank frankly comes in mm. that subsidy mm -hmm. is not money coming from your budget which subsidy the, the you are talking whether is, is it a subsidy yes it's of course subsidy because you are using it to cushion oil prices that's if you decide but to do that that if you decide to do that but it's a subsidy that is not coming from your budget in a sense that that money is not a money you have Basically, to plan to, to use yes. it's money that is coming the same way as the cost that is coming to your budget is not a planned cost. Mm. The revenue that is also coming is not a planned revenue. I see. So those things can be dealt with outside your budget mm. to to get a price 
that is obviously better. Considerable. Exactly. I think his point is so clear. So I don't yeah, know what you make of where we are with this. I totally understand what he's saying. I mm. mean, like, clearly, there's a netting off. Mm -hmm. um, so that people become. So that, I mean, he's urging that once you did not anticipate this, mm -hmm. uh, on the court side, yes, there's some uh, liability, but at the same time, on the on the wind, basically the wind force side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's, there's some amount that came in that you need to net off. So mm -hmm. I understand that. Mm -hmm. I, you know, in a liberalized economy, so the ones we, we pretend to have, uh, clearly these things definitely have some cascading impact. Once you do not necessarily have control over some of the, uh, some of the issues that lead to the increase in prices, mm -hmm. The best you can actually do is to look at your domestic um, cost builder. I mean, what are the factors that go into your pricing of uh, of, of finished products? Mm. So at the end of the day, um, these things vary from one country to the other, mm. right? Uh, and that's why I think we need to make some serious... Um, and I think this is a conversation that has been going on forever, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, the tax build-up, the, some of the items that have become a bit nebulous... Um, we still do not understand why. Okay, we state some of the stabilization. Um, what was price stabilization recovery price level yeah. is quite small. It was suspended for three months and right. then the suspension ended. Right. But I think the main one is the special petroleum tax. Exactly. Because the special petroleum tax was introduced by these guys mm -hmm. and it was introduced as a ad valorem. I believe, yeah, yeah. right? It wasn't specific. And then the, at the time, MPP criticized it. Right. And then they first initially reduced it from 17. And it was introduced because it was said that at the time that it was introduced, I think Seteco was in office, yeah. the price we were expecting to get on the world market, so the $55 example uses, we we're getting like 30. Yeah. So we're going yeah. to lose out on how much we get yeah, sure. from petroleum exports. Sure. Mm. Well, a lot has changed. Good. Now, now that you are getting a windfall, you can adjust SPT or remove it. So that yeah. tax is being paid yeah. whilst you are still getting a windfall. So like a double benefit. Yeah. yeah. And at this juncture, that, I think that's when we need to interrogate exactly mm. whether government should do this now. Yeah. I think it's going to be, <laughs> now that they need extra money to do other things. Yeah. But we certainly cannot stomach a 25% to 30% increase. And, and this is where we really cannot. But you see, we can also fault them. As you're saying, their inputs actually dictate, mm. in addition to the global trends, mm. dictate whatever pricing they are asking for. Otherwise, we are just going to postpone our funeral. If we ask for, if we got 10 or 15 percent, mm. along the way, it will still increase. So can we do something about the build-up? If this special tax can be halved, for instance, then we may have to do our own calculations and say that, okay, then we can stomach maybe a 15% mm -hmm. mm -hmm. increase from the mm -hmm. transporters. Otherwise, um, everything is headed north, and, and I really do not want to be in the shoes of the finance ministry. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me come to Duncan quickly on this. So, Duncan, you said something about the double pricing. Um, what do you think realistically the government should do based on the, the analysis that uh, Ricketts has given, that we may be getting a windfall of 300. He hasn't done a calculation for how much it will cost us on the import side. But what do you think government should be doing at this stage to cushion Ghanaians? Uh, Bernard, thank you once again. Indeed, 
uh, Richard has demonstrated a lot of knowledge uh, in the subject matter, and uh, I agree with what Franklin also uh, indicated. Dual pricing is basically what Richard uh, sought to explain. Okay. Uh, I'm making a windfall here, and my windfall is unanticipated, it's unbudgeted. Mm -hmm. I am also having a lot of drag as far as my home prices locally is concerned. Mm. And then one of the key things governments do forget is that when fuel prices are allowed to escalate the way we have at the Ghanaian pumps, mm. the government of the day, at the end of the day, pays even more. Mm. Because your contractual cost would all go up. Every single department, ministry, and agency would need more. So when I listen to this morning between the economic discussions, mm -hmm. where some monies that would need to be sent to other departments and agencies, we've moved from 16 or 15 billion last year to about 26 billion this year. The fuel factor will be playing a very key role. Mm. Those that you probably would have to give a hundred gallons to every week or every month. If a hundred gallons for you just a month ago, was 50 cities or 500. The same 100 gallons today could be 700 cities. And government is probably the biggest consumer. Mm. And so when you talk of dual pricing, you make a windfall, ensure that part of that windfall, not everything entirely, you can have two things to do with it. You either give it directly to the fuel importation group or those importing fuel. Mm -hmm. And also because fuel prices are incremental. Mm. If I am building from 7.5 cities and I have to add 10 pesos, I go to 7.6, then I'm right. Mm -hmm. If I am building from, let's say, 6.2 and I still need to add 10 pesos, I'll go to 6.3. I can't jump, I cannot jump from 6.2 to 7.6 because of a 10 peso increment. So we have said there are times you would need to make certain interventions to stay prices. Mm. Now, once you stay those prices, if you had stayed less than the price we were uh, before the recent increases in February, most of the pumps were trading around 6.8, right? Mm -hmm. And then because of the, the stabilization and recovery levy, they went up to 7, and then eventually world market prices also take them to 7.3, 7.5. Mm -hmm. If we have decided that world market is also going up, but we've also made a windfall because we projected 65, 66. Mm. We are almost at 95. That windfall, the BDC is how much are you importing monthly? 400 million uh, liters. Mm. How much would that cost us if we put in $10 million? Uh, say, okay, if you put in $10 million, then we would not increase at the BDC point mm -hmm. for the OMC to even increase at the pumps. So you, if you stay prices, that 30 peso is gone for that window, Bernard. The next window, if it has to go up 10 peso, it will now be starting from the 6.8, 6.9, 7.0. So the net impact you would have on the economy would have at least been a bit reduced. But unfortunately, we are not managing fuel prices. We sent a whole position memo 
to the finance ministry before the 2022 budget was read. Mathematical computations have been done. Then I will submit everything to you. That indicates if international market prices should surge by less than five dollars, mm -hmm. what you could do to the pump prices? Don't go and reduce the taxes if you if you so wish mm -hmm. not to. Mm -hmm. But instead of allowing the BDCs to factor that international market price to the OMCs, you stay that at the BDC position. Mm. Because we have a bit of an inflow and you are not even reducing taxes. And so I've, I've been saying this. If the intention is to stabilize or manage fuel prices for Ghanaians, the solutions exist. If we also want to make that, we don't want to stay. Mm. The free market should lead us to where it will lead us. Then, naturally, Prices would simply keep going up and we would sit and pretend, mm. oh, we can't do anything about mm. it. But truthfully, Ricketts is demonstrating uh, something that we have suggested over the period. Franklin agrees. Don't go and take money from the budget, mm -hmm. from government chairs, government funds. Forgive me for the, the, the bit in my... If you are able to get 320, our estimate for 2021 was way in excess of the 320 that Ricketts is putting out there. But let's say you did 300 and decided, okay, I can let you guys have 160 million of this. Thus, I use the remaining windfall of 160 to also do other developmental projects. What it means is that government will be stabilizing its own economy. Take the inflationary basket very soon. The Ghana Statistical Service will come out with inflation computation. Petrol prices play the most significant role. Mm -hmm. Utah is today asking government for enhanced you know, conditions of services. It's simply because things are tough. If you're a lecturer earning less than $1,000 and your fuel cost alone within a month will take about 30-40% of that income, Bernard, it means that you will go back to the employer and ask for more money. So instead of waiting for our labor force, the GPRTU, to also come to us and say we are increasing transport fares, Bernard, if we have been a bit proactive, subventing for 10 million here, 5 million here, mm. 10 million here, prices could have stayed right. as we speak. So fair enough. So I think you've you explained this very well. You're saying that you are not saying spend all the 100% of your windfall on cushioning, but you can even say 50-50. And you can share it through the price build-up mechanism through the BDCs. So at least for once, we all seem to agree. Let me just come to Mr. Esau. Do you agree with this analysis that if government, if world prices are going where they are going, they should be able to use some of that money to cushion everybody in the value chain so that you don't need to increase your price by that much? Yeah, prior to as, uh, do the sit-down strike, mm. I think when we met, uh, that was exactly what we were saying, that some of these taxes must be removed the petrol price build up mm. most some of the taxes must be especially some six specific taxes be because mm. mr duncan himself came to school as on, on the price on the price build up mm. you know so it was about almost about 16 or 18 18 taxes mm -hmm. you know on on the on the, on the petrol price build up 18 taxes mm. but when we saw the price stabilization all those things we are able to know that even that thing has at least a usefulness mm. because 
uh, 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 already yeah. uh, yeah. came out to say that they are able to pay so, some of these uh, uh, debts. So therefore, I think so so you, are going, you are going with a lot of ammunition. Yes, you are going with pie charts and <laughs> yes. You know, you, you, you really don't want to increase first. Because if the more you increase first, mm. uh, people do not patronize uh, this thing. So, but you are going with data. Yes, if you are going with data, means well, well, if if two people are to travel from my village to Accra, yes. Because of the cost of uh, this transportation, mm. they will decide for one to come. And then you know, have, yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, they will pay for one to come. And then will so, to end, yeah. I just let's summary. Uh, so, in the first topic on IMF, we were split. Those of you here said we should go, those on Zoom didn't think so. Mm. But on the issue of what government should do to help Ghanaians, it seems everybody has agreed mm. that government has to do something drastic. My question to you is final. ULF is coming back. We are told they are joining the 1.75 and they are going to 1.5. Are you guys going to oppose it still? Well, no, just one minute. We are right The only way that ULF can pass mm. is sadly mm. when they are able to marshal 138 to pass it. Really? There is so no the 137 there? Absolutely not. Never. Then DC will not participate in that. Even if it's a secret ballot, not one NDC well, will agree. I am quite sure. All of them. No one will dare to go against basically the collective decision of the even so the levies zero point seven five percent no e levy. No e levy. Because for me personally they don't need it. And I've demonstrated to you here <laughs> why they where wow. they can get the money. If they deal with tax exemption issue which is about three billion if they deal with the twenty percent cut after taking out all the mm. rigidities ULV is not either. So ULV, if you have to go to IMF, mm. as I've done here, ULV versus IMF, <laughs> there is no policy. There is no policy credibility. So there is no policy no. credibility for ULV. I see. So that that's your point. Yeah. And uh, frankly, final thoughts. This is a tough time for the country, right? Obviously, it is. And uh, specifically on ULV, I think I do not agree with the government when they say mm. they want to use a portion to uh, create jobs. Mm. Because going by the history of government job creation, mm. these are virtually scams. I mean, they do not add value to the economy. Mm. And so it's very important. And I do not like my government to be creating these jobs. Mm. It's better you give the reprieve to the private Perfect. sector to do that. Yeah. So they mm. can reduce the E-levy to 1%. I see. So we'll leave it here. My guests on the big issue have been Franklin Kujo, who is the executive director of Imani. His position is clear. Go to IMF, but no E-levy. Help cushion petroleum users. I've also had Kwekurike take an MP for Cape Coast South. Go to IMF, he says, no e-levy, cushion Ghanaians. We had on Zoom Professor Lord Mensah, who says you don't need to go to IMF. We also had Dr. John Kwachi, who says he's not sure if IMF is where we should go at this point. In studio, Isaac Esau, Deputy General Secretary in charge of admin GPRTU, he says they are meeting government on Monday. They want at least 25% increase in transport fares. Dankanamwa says government can share the windfall, so we are all happy. Hope you've learned something from today's edition of The Big Issue. My name is Bernard. I've stay with us on CTFM and on CTTV as our other programs come up. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Everything must change. Everything must change. 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 Must change.